Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 188th episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that's been deluxe and overpriced from day one. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering finance, collection management, and speculation. I'm your host, James Chilcott, aka at MTG Critic on Twitter. My co-host this week is Travis Allen, aka at Wizard Bumpin, and we're here to help you folks make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Good evening, everybody. Good evening, James. How are you on this fine night? Very lovely. Starting to get into the Halloween mood of things. We are. Oh, I'm I don't obsessed ne- with the concept of uh, costumes. So this every is. Every time we go anywhere that's selling any, she throws a fit. <laughs> Wait, I'm sorry. I, I was. I didn't catch that. You said you're you're not letting her get a costume. No, no, no. she's obsessed with costumes. She obsessed. It's okay. That you can that you can put a mask on and be something else. Gotcha. Uh well, I will tell you, because I don't remember if I put it on, put, added you on Facebook or not. Uh, we are having a Halloween party, November 2nd, and I'm trying to make it big. So I know that it's obviously very challenging for you and Alitza, but if you're in the market for it, you should come down. I mean, I could counter with uh, joining us for our Halloween party on October 26th, where we'll be playing D&D in a penthouse. I mean, I wouldn't say no. The problem is... I. Well, I don't want to play dueling calendars on request here, but I know that our October is super tight. Uh, oh, yeah, I have a, I'm already booked for another party that day, unfortunately. That's what it is. You're just so. a Halloween party junkie. Uh, well, you know, we started throwing Halloween parties way back. Like when we first got together, or, you know, her parents had a larger house and we would do it. And this was like in college or just after college. And then we, it's just sort of been like our holiday. Right, like, oh, Halloween is where Travis has his Halloween party. Um, so now it's our first year in the new house, and we have all this space. Like, we're not in our small apartment anymore. We're like, all right, we're going to try and go out all out this year. Sort of. All out within brand new house budget. <laughs> My father's always been way more into this than I am. At one point, he had a custom-designed foam penis and vagina made as costumes. Uh... <laughs> What, yeah, they why did they walked into a party full of like stodgy doctors in that outfit? I, well, I believe the doctors find it amusing because doctors are disgusting. Anyone who's ever stood ten <laughs> minutes around a nurse's anyone who's ever stood ten minutes around a nurse's station would just be amazed at how filthy those people are. Um, it's true, actually. But I, I'm surprised you have to have them custom made. Like, I feel like that's something that exists. Not, not easily. I'm, you're, you're talking about like four inch thick like pubes that had to get built for this it was quite ridiculous costly yeah uh, yeah okay i <laughs> that's quite the costume um <laughs> it really was um, well all right so our, our halloween plans aside this is going to be a bit of a weird episode warning everybody now and um, we recorded our set review with the dashing and gallant Daniel Fournier a couple days ago, and we're going back to do the rest of the cast now due to scheduling issues. So stuff's been going down in the interim um, that won't be mentioned in segment four. The uh, Probably the biggest news this morning was the release of the Throne of Eldraine Deluxe uh, collection, which was the $450 uh, version of... 
well, of Thronaville Drain product that included 16 collector booster packs, a uh, custom design binder, um, three by three cut from a foil sheet from Eldrain, uh, a couple of singles, uh, Garrick and the buy box promo, Kenrith, and a print that was discovered to be non-exclusive to the set. Um, people have been making a lot of noise that they didn't like this product. Um, but it only stayed up for about an hour today. And then it was in theory sold out. So the question becomes, did they only produce such a low quantity that it actually had no problem selling out? Like my guess would be somewhere between 2,500 and 5,000 copies. Or did they not even come come close to selling out and they were doing so poorly that they were like you know what this is a total disaster yeah <laughs> we're gonna take the, this offline and try to leverage fomo for the inevitably released second and third versions of this <clears throat> that i predict are already in the hopper to for us to get for theros and then for uh the monster planet set that comes out in the spring i, I i'm inclined to think that you know, I can't speak to whether or not they did sell out, but I'm guessing that if they didn't sell out by the end of the hour, that it seems like Wizards would pull that listing to kind of make them still seem exclusive. Because even if they're stuck with a bunch left over, they can just sell them in the back channel to Channel Fireball or whomever, and you'll see them for sale at GPs from CFB and not really think much of it. Um, but Wizards gets to maintain the appearance of it being exclusive while still getting to ditch their supply uh and i don't know maybe they try and pull the rug on the probably not the theros one but like the akora i'm gonna i'm gonna start calling it akora i have no idea if that's right um but yeah they definitely want to maintain that appeal the image of exclusivity at 450 if they produce 2500 then that was a $1.2 million project. I don't feel like they get out of bed for that. So I'm thinking like 5,000 units times 450, that's 2.25 million. That's more reasonable, especially given that most of what was involved was not, uh, did not involve additional design and development work. Like there was no cards in this that weren't available somewhere else. Um, which would not have been true had they done it, gone the masterpiece plus packs route, which I think is what I would have done. I was talking about this with people on Twitter about how instead of 16 packs, I think they should have done eight packs and eight masterpieces here, and this would have been a home run. Um, Proxy Guy had that pretty sexy version of Shiv and Dragon done in the storybook frame, Mm -hmm. and if you'd done like eight cards like that, they would have done very well. So you're saying you would have prefer you think they would have done better if they had done the I'm going to say adventure frame of eight of the new cards, and then no 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 eight adventure frame of eight cards that were not in Throne of Eldraine. Oh okay okay so 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 it's like it could have been a Shivan Dragon where it looks like the frame adventure frame it's not an adventure card but it looks like it yeah do a few cards like Shivan that are just like nostalgic cards that work well with that frame and then do a few powerhouse cards um you know two or three ones that would have been auto hundred dollar bills and it would have done great yeah see i could i can at least understand wizard's hesitation on that one simply because you don't want to i can see why you wouldn't want to print a card like shaman dragon or any other card in the adventure frame if it doesn't have that mechanic now they could have tweaked it 
to give it, you know, the storybook type appearance without actually being an adventure frame. But you do run the risk of confusing people with them. Then again, there's the Amonkhet invocation. So like, uh, yeah, whatever. They, I think it would have been fine. They would have got away with it. Just uh, People would have been happy. Let's put it that way. And, and it would have sold better. Guaranteed. Uh, yeah. Because the, pri- the primary complaint is that people were looking at this and com- comparing it to Mythic Edition and, and saying like, I'm buying standard cards for 450 instead of buying this other thing for 250. Yeah. Or 300 or whatever it was. That's I, that's probably that had, the... that had like proven masterpiece level cards in it. You know, Mythic Edition 3 having Jace, Bolas, Karn, etc. just made it a slam dunk. Everybody was gaga to buy as many as they could. Um, I bought. I snapped off one of the 450s this morning um, because I had a I had a theory going that if it sold really poorly, these are going to be impossible to get your hands on, which means you really just have to sell it to guys like my dad who missed the sale, by the way. So how many dudes like my dad are sitting there with their dick in their hands thinking, oh, well, I got the money to buy this, but nobody wants to sell it to me. So I guess I'm going to eBay and I'm paying six to seven hundred dollars and sure enough they're already selling for like 640 660 so our first thought is you've got already two phallic references to your father in the first 10 minutes of the cast you got big dick mojo what can i tell you uh, guy, guy had three wives eight kids it's like wow i did not know any of that yep uh my other how shoot now I lost my train of thought. You thinking about my dad's dick? Yeah, probably. <laughs> I think. Uh, oh, I know what I was going to say. That's a good way to put it. Is uh, that's the real issue? Is that with all the other masterpiece stuff, you were getting proven cards, and everything in the collector's booster at the end of the day is a standard legal card. It's a new card. You don't know if any of them are good. Well, yeah. And, and like, and that's going to turn buyers off because you just you and you, you kind of said this, but I'm just kind of connecting the dots on that now. Like, oh yeah, I guess you don't get anything that you know is good. Well, you don't get any. It's it's more. I think I think there are cards that have been easily identified as long term staples. Emery, Once Upon a Time, etc. Um, the the real issue with these collector boosters in general and building a deluxe product around them is that. There's the, maybe the swingiest magic product of all time. And th- this is that was our first take. We said this two months ago when we first heard about this project, that because it was standard cards only, this was likely to be extremely swingy because it means that they made essentially made masterpieces of a bunch of jank rares um, because they, they announced that we were getting extended art for all the rares and mythics that weren't either, either story uh, showcase or planeswalkers. So... Chaz on SEG had uh, his analysis out this week, and it was basically like you could have a pack that was worth $10 or you could have a pack that was worth like several hundred dollars. And you just have no idea what you're going to get until you crack them. And because there's only 12 of these packs in a box, even if you committed to a full box of them, you're still subject to swinginess to a greater degree than, say, when you're opening a Modern Horizons box and you got 36 packs to get through. Yeah, you're going to run a lot closer to the average. Um, yeah, I think it's it's a double it's a double whammy because not only are you gambling with a set of cards in extreme high variance in prices, there's also not that many packs. 
So you run that risk of just running running wrong and having spent $350 on your box and getting $90 or $120 worth of cards out of it. And then on top of that, like those are the value of the cards today. Sure, Oko, well, is the Oko even, no, Oko is one of the borderless foil, I don't know, whatever the crap it is. Like all, like if you went and bought Modern Masters 3 or, you know, any of the other promos, you knew that even if the product was swingy, the cards that were good were good. But this time it's like, oh yeah, I could hit an Oko, but like, what if Oko is not good in a year? Like all of these cards could crater because they're just not good anywhere other than standard. Um, so you don't even have the the durability and the longevity of those cards. So they're really, it's a, it's a tough spot for that product to be in. And it's, this is a, a hard pill, I think, for the community to swallow because there's it's just, one- I don't know why, what the real appeal is here. Having done a lot of analysis on Thornavale Drain in the last few weeks, though, I will I do have this to say. Oddly enough, there are very few long-term staples amongst the showcase cards. Most of the showcase cards look like they were custom-built for standard and limited. And only two of the Mythics were showcase cards, Brazen Borrower, which looks like it got somewhat nerfed. Um, and in segment four, we'll hear Daniel telling us how he thinks, like, anytime you'd be considering that in modern, you'd just be playing Vendillion Click instead, um, which is typically only ever played as a one of. And the Realm Cloaks Giant, which is probably a, a decent uh, EDH card long term, but not an amazing one. And then most of the rares, storybook rares, are quite clearly not multi format staples. So the, what that means is that. The cards that are exclusive to the collector boosters, namely the extended arts of the rares and mythics that are not either planeswalkers or uh, showcase cards, um, tend to, tends to include the cards that are actually going to be good long term. So that's your Emery, that's your Once Upon a Time, that's your Into the Story, um, that's your Great Henge, and um, the Cycle of Rare Lands that I think are undervalued. Uh, your Mystic Sanctuaries. Well, Mystic Sanctuary doesn't count because it's a common, so it doesn't have alt art uh, at all, which will come up later in conversation. But all of those good rares are are extended art. Mm-hmm. It's it's. I don't. I don't. I, at the end of the day, I just don't quite get this product. Uh, it, it seems like the. They push the boundary in too many places at once. Like you have this very expensive product, which is already, you know, the most expensive of any we've seen by, uh, you know, by quote unquote MSRP, which is their, you know, this isn't technically MSRP, but like the price of their offering the product, you're looking at like a, a 25 or 40% increase in price over the most expensive other product they've offered. And you're doing, all these this weird booster setup that kind of puts people players in a weird perspective they don't really know what they're dealing with with that and on top of that you're not giving players established cards you're just really rolling the dice all over the place or at least asking the players to roll the dice all over the place with a very expensive product i i believe that if you bought them that you could turn the profit on them uh but you know you could end up with that 450 dollars tied up for a while several months at least which is just not a position i was really eager to be in i I, yeah and that was reasonable before it sold out now that it's sold out i don't think that's going to be the case at all no one's going to get stuck 
um, unless they get greedy. The the lowest price this afternoon was like six forty. Now the lowest price on eBay is six ninety. Are so, they selling? Yeah, yeah. Copies are selling. So I'm just gonna go ahead and list mine lowest price. Um or do a deal with my dad <laughs> where he saves me the I'll I'll cut him cut the eBay and PayPal fees off and hand it over. Um say he saves money and then I don't have to ship it anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's just easy breezy. People were saying on somebody made the comment on Twitter about how oh even if you sell it like at six fifty like eBay makes more money than you do, but that's not right at all. Um, <laughs> you're actually going to make like twenty percent in a day, and if if you can make twenty percent a day and do that once a week, your <laughs> your MDG finance is going to be better than mine, and mine's already pretty amazing. So yeah. Uh, it's a completely fine flip. I, I'm glad I didn't try to buy 10 of them because I'd be more nervous about trying to flip 10. But mm-hmm. even if I can't unload this in North America, my dad doesn't want it. Somebody else like him doesn't want it. eBay stops selling or the price creators. Keep in mind, nobody that was overseas managed to get any of these because if you're in Japan or France or something, sure, technically you could order it, but the time zone thing may have interfered plus how far away you were from the server, because it only stayed up for about an hour, and there was a queue at one point that you had to queue into. Um, and they were facing significant import penalties and taxes and shipping costs. Mm-hmm. So for them, it was probably looking like 700 from direct from Wizards anyway. So if you end up selling it to them, if you broaden your eBay listing to include international, you'll probably get rid of it, no problem. Yeah, I believe it. I don't think that, you know, you're likely to get daggered on it, but it was it was just a lot to tie up. You weren't clear if you were going to get a turnaround right away. Uh, you know, it could fall out a little bit and then, you know, it kind of drops. Maybe it drops to like 600 or 580 and now selling it really does put you in a position where you're barely getting out ahead and you're like, maybe I should hold it. So, uh, you know, I, I'm sure that everyone who bought it is probably happy with it, but I am not upset to have intentionally chosen not to get in on this one well because it could have gone the other way they, yeah. they could have left it open for weeks and they could have languished at that price and you could have bought four and been holding you know um, I, you don't know I, until it until it sells out what's gonna happen i suppose and i think i've said this before but i don't listen to myself i i think that you really never go wrong buying premium product at wizards msrp like yeah. no been right so far yeah, I don't think the single product you would have lost money on. The worst case scenario is you wouldn't have made much money. Uh, so, I mean, that should be our guiding rule of thumb. Uh, and Mythic Edition 2 is the closest. Yeah, and even then, you're still not out. You're just, you know, what do you make, 20 bucks maybe after fees. But So, something to keep in mind. But uh, I don't I mean, know. One of, one of the interesting things here that, counters much of the criticism is that because they didn't go my route and put eight masterpieces in it that you could only get in this product there's nothing in here that anybody missed out on (laughs) the print and the three by three are curiosities more than anything else i think the binder is fine the box is actually the thing i'm most excited about because it's the nicest packaging they've ever done um and i i may well find a opportunity to buy someone's box from them but Otherwise, you're not missing anything that you couldn't get anywhere else. No. Yeah. How, well, however, it there is another possibility. Maybe they printed 2,500 or 5,000 of these and did sell out in an hour. 
in which case all the signals that no one wanted them to get have been hand delivered <laughs> in a very expensive looking gilded envelope <laughs> with several million dollars in it and if that's true if it wasn't a failure then you're going to get a lot more of this stuff yeah and i guess we probably won't know right away right it'll take you time probably won't know till next year yeah it, you couldn't it, even take theros and akora as proof no because i think they're already planned and executed right like i think hmm. they're planning the concept that we don't have blocks anymore is just wrong from a internal product design and marketing perspective we clearly have one year cycles going on in fact we have i would argue we actually are in a period of hyper blocks where the entire year is planned together. If you look at the cards that were in Core 2020 and what's in Eldraine leading into Theros, these things are being planned together. There's too much cross-referencing between sets for that not to be true. Oh, I mean, I don't think that they ever implied that the sets wouldn't be designed with their interaction in place. Obviously, they have to know how Core 2020 is going to impact... uh, Eldraine and how Eldraine and Core 2020 will work with Theros and how Core factors into that. Well, like they have to manage all that. It's it's essentially when they say no blocks, they mean thematically, like story wise, they don't have blocks anymore. But the mechanics also have to fit together the same way they used to. Sure, but I think a lot of people don't realize all that because I think that they coming from an era where you used to draft the year together, like you draft fall and then you would do uh, double fall, winter, or fall double winter and then you would add spring and you draft the three of them side by side now Mm -hmm. that you always draft your set together and they're self-contained environments there are less cues in the ecosystem that say to you this is all being planned together you have to be paying attention to the 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 mechanical connections across the the year-long block well the drafting Um, the drafting change is fair like that does has changed with the block structure. I'll give you that. So it's like the the draft structure plus the story, I think, are the big components of it. But they certainly don't design these sets in isolation. Yeah. So I think it's very... I think from a product marketing standpoint, this year has been planned out already. So I, I suspect that we, that we are getting the same kind of thing for Theos. And they may tweak something last minute, like try to put something a little more juicy in the next box. They might tweak the price. If it didn't sell well this morning, you might see it drop to three ninety nine or two ninety nine, or you know they'll, they'll fool around with it. But I suspect you're more or less seeing the same thing. Yeah, it would be it would be odd, I think, to see them list it without with a price change. I feel like like it feels like it would like if they did this one at four fifty, and then the next one they're like, hey guys, guess what? This one's only four hundred. Be like. It just it feels so nakedly like whoops we missed on four fifty so we're gonna try dropping yeah, it at fifty yeah. bucks like it's just sort of it's all it's like jarring <laughs> you know well, the, you would the, have to you would you would have to I mean there's some feel bads for the people that paid four fifty if they didn't flip um, but if they tweak the product mix a little because like in these boxes stuff like the print and the three by three you can finagle that you can also adjust. You know, these aren't fully packed and sitting in the warehouse. They have a little bit of wiggle here. So mm-hmm. they can they can increase the number of packs included. There's there's a bunch of little things they can finagle. They could change the name too. Change the name, change the supply, and then sell it for three fifty. Still gonna be pretty obvious. Especially when the box shows up and it feels a little lighter than it should for its size because it's missing crap. <laughs> and and keeping in mind that Mythic Edition one <clears throat> distribution was basically a disaster because the 
uh, last fall, the set, uh, the site to support the selling of the set basically collapsed under its own weight. And then a bunch of extra copies ended up getting distributed to CFB to distribute at GPs, which was never repeated again. And so that could be labeled as a disaster, but it's, you know, given that they got to dump the inventory to CFB, it wasn't a financial disaster because they got their money. Um, and then two didn't do that well, but it's not like we saw any real changes with three. Like, I, I think that three was locked in and they just wrote it, wrote it through. So it's entirely possible to do the same thing here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like if, I, I, if you see, if you see the exact same configuration with arrows, then you'll know we're right. Like right. if it's a three by three, even though people weren't that into that, if it's a non-exclusive print, even though people weren't that into that, if it's still 16 packs, if it's still a binder, similar kind of box, then you know that all this was planned well in advance. Yeah, I, I, I'm I'm on board that I, I suspect we see it. My guess, best guess is that we get the same product for Theros, at least Theros. A Cora could be a, is a maybe, but Theros for sure, I think at 450 still same product distribution. Hmm. Um, you know what I do now, though, uh, is that I'm looking forward to sharing some valuable information with all of you. And our show is produced by mtgprice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Sign up today at mtgprice.com to manage your collection, track your specs, chat on Discord, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff, Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool, nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering single, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5, that's with the number 5, during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to con- consistently save 5% off your order and support this podcast. I'm, uh, I'm going to go ahead and say that in addition to that weighty segment we just levied uh, with the, the deluxe collection, we have four other segments today. Uh, yeah, sounds about right. Segment one, top movers, couple cards we'll look at that have bumped in price this week. Segment two, cards to watch. James and I'll run through some stuff we like for the future. Segment three, the metagame we can review. I think we're going to talk about a uh, MTGO standard leak, which includes Throne of Eldraine. And segment four, topic of the week, we are joined by professional Magic player Daniel Fournier of the great northern hinterland uh, to discuss none other than Throne of Eldraine. And uh, spoiler alert, the Canadian phraseology for coffee ordering and my concerns therein uh segment one our top movers uh, i see you put oko on here from 31 to 36 uh for a small gain um i actually wrote about oko on monday i said you know we could see him go from 30 up to 40 or even 50 uh like opening weekend first two or three weeks because all of the discussion is about how busted this card is uh, and how oppressive it seems like it's going to be uh, so we're getting a little bit of that so far. It'll be curious to see how this plays out, uh, over the next week or two. He's already showed up in some modern lists. People are playing him in modern, huh? Yeah, they're playing. He showed up in a, and it wasn't in some like rando jank modern deck. It was in Wurza. <laughs> oh, Wurza was good. There's a 5-0 deck that was running four Ice Fang Kowaddle, four Urza Lord High Artificer, four, three Oko, three Karn the Great Creator. It's like a who's who's of cards people don't want to play against. Assassin's Trophy, two Were of Invention, and then the full Urza package with all the artifacts and the Sword of the Meek, Thopter Foundry, etc. I feel like that's a deck I would play. Yeah, that sounds nasty, actually. That sounds fun. Uh, Mox Amber. 
out of Dominaria, 12 to 19 for about a 60% jump. Mox Amber on the back of uh, Emery, uh, Emery of the Lock, right? And then um, also the Urza Paradox stack, so kind of two-parter here. Um, everyone well, saw... That's all. that's all the same thing at the same time. The Urza and Emery together with Paradox is the thing. Uh, e- yeah, I mean, Urza Paradox plays, I believe the play plays Emery, but like Emery and Moxie Ember alone is still, is still a draw. Like, I think they, those can be two separate decks, but yes, at the moment, the Urza Paradox is the bigger one, the, 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 the headline for that strategy. In any case, Mox Amber has needed a playable one drop legendary card to be good. Uh, we hadn't really found that anywhere yet, but now suddenly it's looking at like it might, might be Emery because she's not three. She's, you know, technically she's three, but you're going to play her for one for the most part. So you can, you know, activate your Mox Amber pretty fast. This is especially brutal in modern where you have Mox Opal involved as well. Um, and you can actually do some pretty disgusting things pretty quickly. Um, you can, <laughs> can like engineered explosives, Mox Amber, Mox Opal, Tap Opal to cast Emery, then use your uh, Mox Amber and your land to cast something else. And then on turn two, cast Urza, and now your Engineered Explosives taps for mana. It's just so gross. I, I like the part where they get a grinding station into play and start going to town, and then they use Sahili Sublime Artificer to copy the grinding station. Mm-hmm, yeah. <laughs> and get you twice as fast. Yeah, the- LSV's first list didn't have grinding station. And then I think it was like Sam or uh, Emma Handy is like, you should try grinding station. And he's like, okay. And then like the next day he's like, I tried grinding station. That card's busted. I- I'm looking forward to getting out of my 33 cent paradoxical outcomes that I picked up in 2016. Shortly. <laughs> there are um, no bad specs, only long specs. Yeah. I posted a picture of that in $1.50 Jeskai Ascendancy foils today. Because um, both are going to be fifty Ascendancy foils? Oh yeah, baby. From when was uh, I don't even remember them being that cheap at that time. <laughs> oh, they were. This is it was part of an order I placed at Haruyo and nobody was playing it yet. Mm. Um, Japanese foils too at like two fifty. You mean no one was playing it anymore? It wasn't really being played. Yeah, when it was first released, there wasn't a deck for it. What? Just guy ascendancy? Yeah. When it no, first... that was played on release. On release, I played no. it. Yes, it was on release that card. You're talking was about the one with the green card? Glittering Wish. No. Just Guy Ascendancy. Good. It didn't get good till they, they started playing it with the uh the green card that like untapped lands or whatever. Mm. Anyway, I I, I can I have all my receipts in my inbox, so feel free to receipt check me. <laughs> they they were that cheap. The, I, I, um, oh, I believe that you paid that for them. I want to argue about when Just Guy Ascendancy was popular. Well, more to the point, Paradoxical Outcome, that's going to get banned. That, that's going to be the card. Like, if you look at this Paradoxical Urza list, if this deck is as good as I think it is, they're not going to ban Emery, they're not going to ban Psy, Master Thopterus, or Urza, or Sahili. None of these other artifacts are good candidates, except maybe Opal, and there's no way they're banning Opal, because it's, it's not really that offensive in context. It's not going to be Amber or Astrolab, it's going to be Outcome. Because outcome is what makes this deck super busted, and then that will leave behind another version of Urza that will still be good, but won't be like able to do this abusive paradoxical outcome crap. That's basically a straight up vintage deck. 
Yeah, I would agree that Paradox Engine will be the one to go because you can point to every other card in that deck and go, well, this can do fun and interesting things. And then you point to Paradox Engine and you go, hmm, no, this doesn't have a, there's not really going to be a deck where this card is playable that it's not too good. Like it's just one of those cards where the power level is at zero or 10 and there's no room in between. Yeah. And so to wit, I called Mox Amber last on cast. When did that go down? Uh, I want to say that it was two episodes ago, 12 to 20. It's next on our list here, 12 to 19. Ding, ding, ding. Um, And that's on the back of... The, LSV said he was running four copies of Amber in the Urza deck. Other players seem to be more happy with two copies. Either way, Amber could easily end up a twenty or thirty dollar, twenty-five to thirty dollar card here in short order. Uh yeah, yep. Is it the the color of your energy? The color of your energy. <laughs> Amber is the color of my energy. Oh, what oh, song is that? I don't know. Three Eleven. Green Day? Yeah. It's not Green Day. Wait. I, I shunned Green Day in its era, so. 311, Amber. <laughs> so next on the list, we have Fires of Invention at Eveldrain, going from 2 to 330. Uh, also, uh, on our agenda last week, I called it 2 to 5, so we're well on our way there. Um Sounds like there's a fire, Fires of Invention, Fae of Wishes deck in standard. Uh, remains to be seen whether that's going to be tier one or not. Um, but Whispers say it's pretty tight. Okay, wait, um, hold on. I have to look up Fae of, Fae of Whispers, you said? Wish, no, Fae of Wishes. It's the wishes. fairy that you get to tutor with out of your sideboard. Oh, okay. That would be an amazing a commander spec if commander allowed those kind of cards. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I can see that. I, I do like the card. I like uh, I like Fires of Invention. Sounds like fun. I think you have to sell now, right? Like, try and find a buy list that'll take them. I don't think buy lists are even accepting have caught cards from Eldraine yet. Hmm. Well, it's just like, they're they're popping Eldraine this weekend. They're not going to be buying it. Right, right. The only way that's going to be true is if something like just completely starts, like, if some of these rares go to... If Fires of Invention wins a standard tournament this weekend, then... Sure, it might pop up on a buy list briefly. We saw that with War. Uh, War of the Spark, I made a bunch of money importing cheap rares from War as an experiment and then flipping them, getting caught holding two or three and buy listing the other six or seven. Stuff like yeah. that who shakes, shakes the world, etc. I could Tamio. see... My, my concern with Fires of Invention is it feels a little like New Perspectives to me. Um, and for those of you that remember New Perspectives was a combo card... In uh, Amoncat, it was the cycling combo card, and it had one weekend. It was the Pro Tour where it kind of went off. It looked good on like day one, and copies went from like eighty cents to four bucks. Uh, and if you were me, you got rid of just enough to break even, and then the bottom fell out from underneath it. It didn't do well in standard again, and you were just kind of stuck holding the card. It looked cool, and you didn't lose money, but you just ended up with a bunch of new perspectives you didn't need uh, because the deck was just kind of one dimensional. So I, I could see that happening here. I don't think this card is quite as comboy as uh, as New Perspectives was. It's you know Daniel will talk about it a little bit later that it's a bit more solid as a value engine rather than a combo piece. Uh, but I, I get the same vibe from it. We'll see. 
Uh, Knight of the Ebon Legion, core 2020, non-foils from 4 to 7. That's pretty high for a standard aggro rare. Um, it's not. It's because it's not a single deck card. It's showing up in a bunch of aggro variants and mid-range variants. Um, Black aggro looks like a front runner as well for this format. And it's a 4 of there. And because it came from a core set, it is more prone to taking off in the fall than it would be from one of the other sets. Mm-hmm. The card, I, I find the card a little underwhelming, but I suppose if you're playing an aggressive Knights deck, you need a one-drop somewhere. So, I guess I would be selling the hell out of these if I had them, though, that's for sure. Oh, yeah. Uh, Forbidden Orchard out of Champions of Kamigawa. Foils from 22... Champions Kamigawa. Kamigawa. 22 to 40 here. Uh, I mean, this is an original foil printing from, like, 2006? 2005? Uh... But I don't see any reason why we'd be talking about it today in regards as opposed to any other weekend. So this just seems like it's probably very low supply. And the last couple of cheap copies got got picked up. Um, I mean, this card has been played ever since it was printed. But it's not like anything happened this week, I don't think, that would change the, the, the math here. This is also one of the few expeditions I would definitely rather own than the original pack foil. Um, beautiful, uh, hyper-saturated color uh on the art for the expedition one of the better expedition arts oh that's cool um and this thing's this thing has shown up in commander 2016 most recently um from the vault realms and as an expedition um but has never had a another normal foil printing which is why those foils are capable of taking off like that yeah i uh i don't remember i think those foils were fine I don't think there was a problem. It was the, yeah, the dark steel foils were really bad. Yes, as you've mentioned at least twenty times on this cast that you don't. Hey, like. hey, hey! Not everyone knows. We get new listeners. They may have never heard me discuss it. <laughs> I have had people message me and tell me that they appreciated me mentioning that. I'm not just okay. making that up. Okay. Uh, Edric Spymaster of Trest has popped <laughs> up on this list a few times this summer. Um, heading into the fall now, I suppose. Um, this is the commander version from a dollar seventy-five to three fifty. The one where the my most hated price movement, where you basically have to have a buy list support to make any money on it. So let's just check in on the buy list and see what they have to say about Edric real quick. Uh, looks like about a dollar on buy list, so that's not mm. going to get you there. No, I would have liked Edric before they reprinted him in. Oh, some product. They put them in some product, and I was like, all right, well, that puts a nail in that coffin. Because I would have played it. Would have bought in, but... Second uh, biggest mover of the week, Paradoxical Outcome, the aforementioned. This is the foils, and you just called this last week, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, I may have. Uh, Sounds like something I would do. No, it it was me calling the... Wow. Wow. Calling the non-foils, though. To, from a dollar to two fifty, um, that's getting there too. Those are posting up to be five or six bucks. Um, but we did discuss it last week because it showed up going from six to fifteen. Now we've got it a week later going fifteen to forty. So basically, what happened there was there was like six or eight copies probably lying around near fifteen. Those have been bought up and flipped, and people are trying to flip them in the thirty to forty dollar range. And I think they'll probably get their price if they try to undercut the market by a few bucks because. People are definitely going to be building this Urza deck. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And I mean, it, you know, even if something's going to get banned here, it's going to have some time to do its thing before that happens. And in the meantime, this is going to be blowing people up at 
monitor events left and right. Well, and the like the foils for paradoxical outcome were already like desired and vintage, and probably see some play in Commander as well. So it's not like there was a ton of them just sitting around. Um, and now that there's a real deck that wants four of them in modern, boom, they're mm-hmm. rocket ships. Yeah, it's recorded in 3,000 decks on EDH rack, and it probably should be in more. Um, almost all of the artifact decks could probably find use for it. Uh, all right, so last of the week, Spawn of Mayhem out of uh, R- RNA. Is that the set name? Ravnica, Ravnica Allegiance. It is this. I'm like, wait, is R- I'm like, is it R-A-N? Oh, no, RNA, Ravnica Allegiance. That's a weird one. Yeah, I, I had to R-A- I feel like R-A-L, right? Or whatever. Yeah. Uh, both foils and non-foils of Spawn of Mayhem, but specifically the non-foils, 3 to about 10 for a uh, nice, nice little triple up there. Um, Spawn of Mayhem doing work as just a very efficient curve topper in the aggressive black, black, red, you know, black X decks, and also a decent bit of kind of mid-range fat if you're playing a slower build. Um, he's the four mana four four. He's got spectacle. So if you're attacking with um, knights or anything smaller, you're probably playing him on turn three rather than turn four. Flying trample. So four four flying trample, pretty solid. And then uh, if you get, he does some other stuff. At the end of your upkeep, he deals damage to each player. And then if you have less than ten life, you get to put a counter on him. So once everyone's down below ten, he starts getting bigger. Just an efficient, valuable, you know, useful creature if you're trying to kill somebody. Uh, tip, and I see tip. this price probably being pretty sticky here. Yeah, you want to be selling here, but this is uh, and this the action on this card went down in between podcasts, which is why it never showed up on our list. But it actually was called out by myself and a couple of other people in the Pro Trader Discord, and a whole bunch of us went out and grabbed whatever two to four dollar copies we could find, and now we're in the process of selling them. It's going to work out pretty well. Um, buy lists are we're at like five fifty to six. Uh, earlier this week in, in credit and I'll just uh, I think 450 to 5 in cash so it's very solid indeed easy double nice. yeah nice alright that brings us to uh, segment 2 here our cards to watch why don't you uh, kick us off here James yeah I'll jump in with a bit of a uh, under the radar pick here um, Handware Battlements out of Eldritch Moon is probably not a card that people have been thinking much about um, but at least 6,000 people have reported using it on EDH Rec, which probably means that a tens of thousands have found reason to be running this utility land. This is the rare land uh, out of EDM that taps for a colorless. For red and a tap, a creature gains haste until the end of turn, which is the most uh, normal reason to be running it. And then if you control both this and Handwear Garrison, which is the 2-3 for 3 that makes 1-1s one when you attack with it, then you flip it over, and it melds together into uh, Writhing Township. And Writhing Township is, I think, a 7-4 trample, first strike, crazy pants. Some uh, nonsense. It's a 7-4 trample haste, and whenever it attacks, you put two 3-2 Eldrazi horror creatures tokens, creature tokens onto the battlefield tapped and attacking. So both decent cards in Commander... And uh, if you're going to run the battlements, then you may as well run the other half and have the potential to field a extremely big beater that is not easy to deal with. Lands and enchantments probably being the safest permanence to keep lying around in the late game in Commander. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a cool so, car. I love. I'm sorry. So go ahead. the call here, the call here is the foils at about 250. There's a pretty steep curve building up on these because it's been a few years now. So they've slowly but steadily drained out. This is not the kind of thing that's going to spike overnight. It's just go ahead and pick up a handful of these at 250, and you're going to wake up one day and buy this. Will be at like six or seven. Yep. Yep. There. It's a perfect, quiet, easy ride it to the top type of card. Um, so you know those numbers all sound good. Uh, and I'm, I'm a fan of the EDH specs as all of our listeners know, they're reliable. Uh, I can't imagine this getting reprinted ever. <laughs> it's gonna be a long road for that one. Uh, so yeah, you're pretty golden on this. There's a, there is a, there's a caveat on the whole EDH foils thing that needs to be at front of mind, especially as we're examining what happens with the price trends related to Throne of Eldrain, because there's two major things going on right now. One is that there are other kinds of premium cards being included in sets. So in Throne of Eldraine, the market is likely to be fractured across people that are into foreign foils, pack foils, non-foils. And if they like non-foils, maybe they like showcase cards um, uh, or extended art foil lists, or they could have the foiled versions of the aforementioned. So... With six or seven different options, it's going to be a little trickier to pinpoint which ones you're supposed to be picking up. And keep in mind that starting with Core 2020, the foil drop rates in standard sets doubled. So there are twice as many foil rares as there used to be. And we talked last week about how I'm suspicious as to whether that means there will actually be double that many in the market. And probably about four to six weeks from now, I'm going to write an article where I go out and compare the inventory levels for cards from previous sets, fall sets, to uh, Eldraine and try to get a bead on whether indeed the prices specifically of the foils seem like they're being held down by all of this uh, wacky product design. Hmm. That'll be interesting to read. Because it, because the end result of that might be that we end up saying, you know, anything short of a mythic foil, you know, has to be treated like we used to treat uncommon foils. So you mm-hmm. really you don't want to be picking up these rando knight cards that are going to be in two thousand decks on EDH rack. You want to be targeting the foils that are going to be in ten thousand plus decks within a year because anything short of that's just not going to move very fast. Yep, yep. Just cranking up the the foil. The amount of foils is really going to put a dampener on that ve- that vector here, which is disappointing, to be honest. Now, on the other hand, I, I think it's possible that the, ex- the good extended arts are being undervalued in the market because I think people are misunderstanding the window of opportunity here. If the deluxe collection sold out and maybe didn't sell that much, um, and the collector booster boxes don't get a restock, which is what I'm hearing, then you're relying on the holiday bundles that are going to be in big box stores towards Christmas that have one single collector booster. A lot of that stuff's going to get given as gifts to casuals. Um, people are not going to buy those probable, probable $50 boxes to get one collector booster pack. So that stuff could be very plentiful for four to six weeks, and then the good cards could just start drying up. Mm-hmm. And there will be no replenishment point of note. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's so many different different cards, different treatments, different locations that you're finding the cards. It's getting difficult. 
honestly, to keep track of it all. And I can totally see some of that stuff slipping through the cracks where it's a, you know, there's a particular treatment of a card or it's only printed in one spot and no one really notices. And then it gets popular in EDH and the copies get picked up. And it's like, oh, even though this had the Throne of Eldraine watermark, you know, set mark, there's actually one-tenth as many of these as there are everything else. Uh, so they're actually considerably rarer than we thought. There's some other stats I got from vendors today that I thought were interesting um, that should be shared. Um, showcase rares, like showcase cards in general, are about a 50-50 split. So if you're pulling a rare out of a normal standard uh, standard booster pack of Throne of Eldraine, it's about 50-50 that the rare will be uh, showcased. Um, but because there's only... Uh, I think for Mythics, they said it was more like 40-60 uh, showcase to non. And then the showcase foil Mythics are extremely rare because there's only only two of the 15 Mythics are showcase cards, Brazen Borrower and Realm Clip Giant. So the foils of those cards um, in the showcase frames are something like one out of every 80 boxes. Wow. Yeah. The- so that's that's like Masterpiece level. That's that the hard part there is do you care about those? Like sure. I like so I pre-ordered Realm Cloak Giants because I think that the the price of $5 is too low and the the foils were the the you know the fancy art foils were like 50 bucks and I'm like no like I just who who wants to pay $50 for this card even if it's 15 or 20 bucks in standard like yep I don't see the appeal in that. Because it's probably not much of an EDH card, unless you get a really great giant commander, which we talked about a couple of times. Now, now the the trade-off there is that you get to cast this as a board wipe. Yep. Goes to exile. But now, like, it can't be touched. So then, at your leisure, you can recast the card and then keep the creature if you want it. You probably don't want to. but And then bounce it back to your hand and get to recast your Wrath. So, like, the fact that it's kind of a recurrable Wrath is pretty cool, which could make it useful. But when you're considering which Wraths to play in your commander deck, it's like there's so many good ones now with so much upside that, like, the remote ability to recur it just doesn't seem good enough with all the other stuff you could be doing. Well, especially because it's actually easier to recur it from your graveyard with things like Snapcaster Mage and Supreme Verdict than it is to be dicking around in the exile zone. Like, you have to cast yeah, the giant, th- then bounce the giant, then, like, you're recurring. Well, if your goal was just to recur a Wrath, there are easier modes. The, ni- the nice thing is that it's very safe in exile. True. Right, like, like you don't have to worry. Great. Yeah, once you're exile, those targeted a little more often. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but but you're right. Like that, but like, okay, I can supreme verdict and then snap supreme verdict, or you know, oh well, you exiled my graveyard. All right, well, I do have four wraths in the deck, like, and I can just go find another one at some point. So yeah, all of this is to say that you know, even though I thought five dollars for Rumpel Giants was underpriced, fifty dollars for the ultra rare foil premiums, I'm so like, yeah, no, I don't think so. I just don't know who the buyer is, and the same with uh, Brazen Borrower. Like, I don't know who the market for this is. And I think that's because they're not staples. Like, that's what I was saying before about how the adventure cards mostly are not the long-term cards. Um, but what that means is that the extended arts are the long-term cards. Most of the longer-term staples for modern and or commander are in the extended arts that are only available in the collector booster packs. And if you believe that Throne of Eldraine is not selling that well, um, and according to vendors, that's true. Um, pre-releases got uh, hammered, I'm hearing, because of the early access to Arena. 
letting people like get get access to the cards too early Mm -hmm. um and it's probably that plus the low resonance of the set that has contributed to um throne not doing as well as a lot of the other sets recently like modern horizons or war of the spark um or even ravnica last fall so the but the thing to keep in mind from an MG Finance perspective is that if a set doesn't do well but has great cards, that just means there's less of those cards in the market. So this could be some of the counterplay, like for you know the EDH rare foils, for instance, there could be some counterplay there where when you're trying to pinpoint what price you're supposed to buy like a Wishclaw Talisman foil for, you've got to be thinking about a bunch of different factors at once because if the set's not is underselling then there's less of them but they printed twice as many foils so that maybe balances out to some extent it's going to be uh, a lot to figure out but there's going to be something you know some of these trend lines are going to be a little more obvious in a few months and they're going to be well worth paying attention to yes yeah the 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 set wasn't good so not that many cards made it into the market so two years later prices are higher because there actually wasn't that many opened is a dynamic i guess you're going to run into the problem of it being a fall set though and fall sets by their nature just opened way harder than winter and spring sets sure um, but if if the fall set undersells by 24 percent, which is a possibility then it's going to act more like a winter set Yes. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm just like, if, if you had this same scenario happen in the winter, then it would be a oh, yeah. real beat. You know, that's a real yeah. a compounding factor. Um, and, and, and interestingly, I think they're going to recover here. Because even if they missed on the, if, if the tone of Eldraine didn't quite hit the mark or the product mix was a little too complicated, there's a couple things working, working in their favor heading into 2020. First of all, people love Theros. That's going to be go fine. And Monster World seems like a slam dunk hit. Like that's just going to be a bunch of Godzilla monsters smashing each other upside the face and it's going to be fine. Um, and even a complex product mix will become less complex the more people are exposed to it. So people will not have as many questions the next time around. Yeah, that's probable. And they, and they may just get and they may just get used to it, right? Like things that people are bitching about now will just become par for the course. If if indeed the premium product does well, then people can continue to ignore it for the next two years if they if they need to, because it's if they keep the kind of configuration they've got now, again, there's nothing in there that you can't get elsewhere. Mm-hmm. I'm you really think Acora is gonna do that well? Yep. Oh yeah. Hmm. It's I think it's gonna hit like despite their best efforts, this is still a basically a bunch of like grown-up teenage boys playing a strategy card game and godzilla's punching each other in the face is going to do just fine <laughs> i guess i yeah hmm it feels it does feel juvenile to me like the, the on the surface that it does not appeal to me uh I, in I fact argue, i think I the fairy tale like, sounds a little cooler i would argue the eldrian themes are more juvenile that that fairy fairy tales are more of a six to eight year old thing, whereas like Godzilla is not. Like that's not something you show a six year old. That's something you're into when you're like ten to fourteen. Uh well, yeah, I don't disagree with that at all. I just uh, it feels like the monster movies. I don't know. I guess they sort of lack the. Hmm, how do I describe this? Fairy tales have sort of entered cultural parlance pretty pretty heavily enough so that it doesn't feel like having a spin on it is childish like abc did that whole that whole show that was whose name once, i forget once once upon a time or something it's just called once i think 
was it? I, I could ask my wife. It didn't matter. But like that was a whole show with like multiple seasons. It was based on fairy tales. It was semi-popular. It ran for several seasons. And it seems like they kind of hang or this stuff kind of hangs around a little bit. Whereas monster movies just feel sort of stuck in like it's a monster movie. Like it hasn't permeated and grown to be more than that. And like people like Pacific Rim, which was monster movie meets robots and the Godzilla movies still seem decently popular but like they don't get out of that space I, I, i'd have to spend more time thinking about this to describe it clearer i think but ultimately uh, i mean it doesn't really matter you were right the show is called once upon a time ran 2011 to 2018 the um, it's a pretty long run actually the but i think we're actually going to get that like they're going to do jaegers versus monsters here it'll just be like uh constructs versus godzilla yeah so they'll they'll do it <laughs> they've they've lifted heavily from pop culture repeatedly and they will not be shy about doing it again oh yeah yeah i can see them doing that it's just i don't know i i if you said would you rather have a set based around fairy tales or a set based around god's you know godzilla and monster movies i feel like i i feel like there's more nuance to and and interesting tropes in the fairy tale realm than in the oh monster oh, I realm that for sure but i I just don't think that that's what magic players are necessarily looking for. The other thing to keep in mind is that yeah. Japan is the second biggest market for this product and they are by no means over monsters. Uh, yes. I, that, that may remain, <laughs> remains popular over there. I mean, you probably noticed when you were walking around, there are vinyl monsters for sale literally everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. It is still a thing. Still a thing. All right. So tell me about your first pick this week. All right, well, sticking with my, we haven't seen enough of Eldraine and Modern to get a feel for it beyond the Urza Paradox deck, so well, we give that another week or two to brew. Uh, I was digging through some EDH, early EDH rec results, and uh, the commanders seem generally relatively equal. Um, you know, we're talking about like 60, 70, 80 decks built over the last week, so uh, the numbers aren't high enough to draw any real conclusions about one being more popular than the other. One of those commanders that's up there is Sir Gwyn. This is the knight commander, does knight-related things. But the, as far as I can tell, the most popular equipment in that deck, and it is a deck that focuses on equipment, that's part of Sir Gwyn's thing, is Sword of the Animist. Sword of the Animist is from Magic Origins. It's the two to play, two to equip. Your creature gets one, one. And then whenever it attacks, you get to rampant growth. Um, so it's a pretty useful... Uh, it didn't quite make it in standard, um, which was kind of surprising to me at the time. But now it's seen some some new play in Sir Gwyn there. And the nice thing to hear... See, here is it. It's, it's the most popular equipment in Sir Gwyn. Uh, it is in 19,000 EDH rock decks, basically before Sir Gwyn hits the table. So definitely a solid basis of demand for the card. I mean, artifacts do that. It's hardly the most popular artifact, but 19,000 is still 19,000. Uh, it only has the original foil printing in Magic Origins. It was printed in Arch Enemy and Commander 2017, neither of which were foil. Uh, they're at about $12 right now, and there are very few copies of this card uh in foil at this point and let me take a look here there are 10 vendors and for 11 copies uh it jumps up to 14 15 after the first couple copies and then 17 and then you're gone uh so this is another one of those 
there's just no supply, definitely popular. People are going to buy the 12s, 13s, and 14s, and then it's going to be an $18, $19 card, and then it'll be 25 Yeah, we called this before maybe a year to a year and a half ago uh, to somewhere under 10 um, and it's been a slow, steady gainer since. So th- th- this is the ramp. This is the ramp that was not present when we first talked about it. We predicted a ramp, took a little longer than I thought it would, but uh, this is just rock solid. It, repeatable rampant growths are great. And many, many, many decks can find a home for this. And that is what you're looking for when you're trying to establish uh, future commander super staples. It's the stuff that doesn't rely on a knight or a giant or whatever being in play. It's the stuff that just does the good work of ramping or winning the game. Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. All right. So that that is... Okay. What's your follow-up? Mystic Sanctuary Foils but not at today's price. Um, Sam Black wrote an article on Star City Games this week talking about how Sanctuary is just ultra super duper busted. (laughs) And as people are going to hear in our segment with Daniel later on in the cast, um, he didn't realize that it was fetchable. So he was lukewarm on it. Then we informed him that it's an island and then he was a lot more excited about the card. Um, This card is just going to do so much work not because of what it does but because of how it interacts with other cards that are already good um and how it that spell on a land slot is always undervalued and this is one of the better ones ever printed Mm -hmm. so i think that it being a common you're looking for these foils to get pushed down hard and this weekend will be your first opportunity to see some stuff drop out in the bottom you could see $4, $5, $6 foils, and you just need to decide how low you want to go before you get in. Um, keeping in mind, foil drop rates are increased, starting with Core 2020, so these are not slam dunks necessarily, but I would be very surprised if I don't pick up, take a stab at four or eight copies of this at a low price, even though, and it'd probably be the only common foil all year other than Arkham's Astrolab that I target. Um, but I think this is at that level. Yeah, this card is bonkers. No question about it. Uh, and I'm not surprised to hear Sam Black speaking so highly of it. Uh, it does so much. It's so abusable. You know, just go read Sam's article if you want to hear about it. Uh, yeah, the current foils at nine. You want to buy in at six. Yeah, I could see that. You know, if you can... Hang, you know, if you can hang tight and catch these, I could see them dropping the four or five possibly. Um, there's a there's a chance that they sneak that low, uh, but I do think that eventually there is a price point at which you want to get in on this, and that is going to be this is going to show up in like every commander deck. You know, every commander deck it's going to show up as a one or two of in a bunch of modern decks. Um, it's just going to be kind of all over well, and the one place. Of the- and probably not as a four of most of the time, but just one or two of in like well, everything. So far, the list I'm seeing for blue-white control, it's a four of. Because the interactions with Cryptic in Command standard? and potentially using... Uh, in modern. And with Cryptic Command and using uh, Counterbalance, which is legal in modern. Um, this thing lets you put the thing on top <laughs> at instant speed. Because you can fetch it, it hits play, you get to put the thing on top that counters the spell you're trying to counter with Counterbalance. So, yeah, and people were saying like Saltai bills and all sorts of stuff. Like, remember, there was the Wilderness Reclamation card we haven't 
heard talked about for a little while. Wilderness Reclamation, Sultai Spells builds were already doing some work in the spring. And every time you get an additional piece of the puzzle like this, it pushes them closer and closer to success. Hmm. That sounds... Hmm. Yeah, I could see that. I, I'm, I'm, I'm saying that you might not see it as for us only because... Uh, and because we have the the benefit of having recorded this after we spoke to Dan, you'll hear Dan mention throwing one or two in a deck and just well, fetching right. it when you need like, it. A bunch of the decks are only going to run one or two. But if there's six or seven archetypes that are all running at least one or two, then it's the same as, the, as if there was two or three archetypes that were running four. So, and, and then yeah. if, you know, I think EDH, it's a slam dunk. Like people are just going to run it there. So the, these foils are going to get cheap at some point or they'll, you'll catch a good coupon on them or something or whatever. And you just got to pick your moment. It's not the thing you want to run out and try to corner the market on tonight because it's a common <laughs> in the, the most recently printed right. set and it's a fall set. But keep your eyes out because if you get, if it drops low for whatever reason, then it's a good one, two year hold for sure. I agree completely. I agree completely. This is going to be, I would not be surprised to see foils of this at $20 at some point down the road. Yeah. It'll be a few years, All right. but I could see it. Uh, I'm going to follow up with Sunken Hollow. I would have Battle for Zendikar. Sunken Hollow is the blue-black land. It is a island swamp and enters a battlefield unless you control two or more basic lands. Uh, has been printed in... Battle for Zendikar, it was had a pre-release, then it was in Commander 2019. Uh, had an alternate art in the BFZ Standard series. I don't even know where that came from. Uh, and an expedition. Uh, but the foils are BFZ, the Zendikar promos, or the BFZ, the pre-release promos, and then the expeditions. Uh, but the Zendikar pack foils are about four bucks right now, four to five dollars. And uh, I like these pro- honestly up to probably like 15 bucks. I think we might be able to swing for on these. Um, the pre-release foils are almost gone. There are like five left. So those are drained real hard. Uh, and that just leaves the pack foils of which there are currently 22 vendors for probably 35-ish copies. Um, you're looking at, you know, it run- runs up to maybe six bucks, not considering shipping uh, pretty much all the way through, but there's not that many uh, overall. This is also like sort of the Animus in nearly 20,000 commander decks. So you have a fetchable blue-black land uh, in 20,000 decks. Supply on the foils is drying up. Battle for Zendikar is getting further away. So I definitely think this is going to go up. I think you're looking at a little bit of a longer time frame here. You know, sort of the Animus, I was thinking short to midterm, but Sunken Hollow, I'm thinking mid, or mid to long term. But, uh, you know, foil lands are are always always worth considering. And I think what's going on here is that the in Commander, you end up needing pretty much every duel you can get your hands on to round out your mana base. And these have been out for, what, five years now? And uh, yeah, sounds yeah, so about it's right. been a slow, steady drain from Commander players. And one of the things that I, makes me like your pick is that the, we've got this signal from the non-foils just being printed in the Commander 2019 decks that you're not going to see the foils for a while. So 
both the mm-hmm. bait the pack foils and i think the expeditions like the expedition ramp isn't much worse the they've got 15 left there's some 26 dollar copies and it quickly gets up to 40 not a huge priority i'm not going to throw a ton of mm-hmm. money at it but i could i could see myself snapping off a couple of 28 dollar copies 26 28 dollar copies of the expeditions and throwing them in some decks and then revisiting a couple years down the road or not even it might even be six months yeah i mean i'll be honest i didn't actually click on the expeditions i don't know why i usually do but i totally believe that those are a valid choice as well for sure because again no point of resupply yeah um, so, all right, so that's, that's two, solid. two two easier picks this week sure. how about yourself so this next one like i was i thought for sure i, I mean we've been talking about it for months but I haven't made it an official pick since I think back when, just before it came out, Modern Horizons booster boxes still sitting out there around 180. Sometimes eBay coupons once or twice a month give you 10% off. You can get it down to like 165. There's been mass drop offerings recently about the same level. I've heard a couple of the distributors in the US are already out of product. And so unless Wizards chooses to lean in and throw another print run our way, that could be it could be the start of the end of supply. I've heard from the Russian people that were supplying us for pro trader group buys that we're probably going to get like one, maybe two more supply opportunities. And then that's going to be it. So I suspect that you're going to see a trickle of modern horizons heading into 2020, which means it's now is the time you go ahead and pick up your $170 boxes. If you can get the right coupon and you're looking to out them 250 to 300 within 18 months. It's probably the safest non-premium, well, the safest non-single-day sale product that you can throw some money at this year. Yeah. I mean, there's no way to argue that everything in Modern Horizons looks so good. And a year from now, that set just seems like it's going to be through the roof unless Wizards just prints like nine more runs of it which i just don't see that happening people's attention span doesn't last that long we've talked about this before if we don't get a master style set in the next six months i could see this being resupplied they they this could be this is full of enough staples that if they lean like did the eternal masters thing where say early in 2020 some more supply like say 20 percent of the original print run was re-injected into the market that would make sense like they said it was going to be available for a year so they could do that, but it's not. It's just not going to affect prices that much. That will keep some prices in check for a little longer. That's what we saw with Eternal Masters, but it just delayed the inevitable for six months. And then all the yeah. same dynamics came into play. Yeah, that's a, that's a good way to put it is naturally these will trend upwards in price at whatever vector you think uh, is appropriate for a set of this. Uh, popularity so adding additional printings depending on the volume of the printing doesn't drop the price it just stymies the growth because it's already going to be going up so you like and like you said it's 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 like so if they bring another wave to market that doesn't mean that the prices on the rise and stuff craters it just means it slows the growth or holds it steady for a little while but eventually that additional inventory gets absorbed and those prices start rising again because when people assume that it gets reprinted quote unquote they're thinking like they printed a million of them last time they're going to print another million and then without the market absorbing that million they're going to print another million that's not how it works, guys. Like they, They're not going to print what they can't get through the distribution pipeline. Their greatest nightmare is that their distributors get caught holding a bunch of product that they can't move. So they try to print to about demand. 
And that demand trails off naturally because we're going through all sorts of other hype cycles, right? Like you can't constantly be trying to push Modern Horizons while you're also trying to sell five different versions of Throne of Eldraine. So even if it shows up, it's going to be a minor a minor run. Like it would be a minor restocking at a much lower level than dealers originally had access to it. And the only thing that I think is better than these is the Russian boxes that we're buying as pro traders through the pro trader group buys. Um, you know, if you, if you get off your butt and get in there in the next couple of weeks, you're going to get a shot at easily, you know, covering your entire year of pro trader just from participating in one of those deals. One of our people that just ordered, I think, a single box. Some people ordered up to 21 boxes of Russian. Um, this guy, <laughs> this guy just opened, uh, ordered a single box, got it today. He had the day off, told us he was going to crack it. Five minutes later, pack number three, he opened a foil Russian Renin 6 worth like a thousand plus <laughs> is it is it over a thousand yeah have any sold yet what like have we have we seen any sell yet oh yeah 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 like anywhere from 800 to 1200 negotiated prices have gone down i mean Renin six isn't is a, a 10 right like that's a right a, it is a, a legacy it, would... modern super stable Probably the chase card of the set, yeah. on all things considered. Yeah, and, and it might have been Urza had things. Uh, it might end up that Urza... Yeah, is, say it still could be Urza. Could, it still could be Urza long-term, but I think both Urza and Ren and Six are shoulder-to-shoulder as ultra-powerful mythic set of the set. Um, yeah. The So anyway, uh, it, and it's so it's not just not hard to make your money back on those boxes, because if you get a good foil rare, it's probably $100 in Russian. You know, your Ice Fang Quaddles and, and so forth. And if you, and because we know those boxes come with two foil basics, they're worth 20 or 30 bucks each. That basically covers like half to two thirds of your box, depending on what you pulled. And then you tend to get the five fetch lands uh, or canopy lands plus prismatic vista. You get, you get yourself a, a normal Renin six or an Urza. And it's just, it's hard to go wrong. Um, so anyway, Modern Horizons booster boxes, it's not like it's any kind of news, but you know people are going to sleep on it because they always do. And then you wake up a year later and your Eternal Masters, your Ultimate Masters, your Modern Masters 3, whatever, they always end up being in the $300 range. Yeah. Well, it's just, it's not sexy. You know, we can talk about specs and you're like, ooh, I can buy this now. And then in a month, this is going to be worth twice as much and like I can just be really fast and it's like oh yeah this is exciting and fun I feel like I was smart and Modern Horizons boxes you just buy them and the price doesn't change and you're like yep okay and then six months later you've made a chunk of profit and it's just it's not as exciting uh, but that doesn't mean that it's not good the nice thing about the Modern Horizons boxes is they run so deep that by comparison to things like collector boosters or like a standard booster box the odds of getting blown out are so much lower that your worst case scenario is that you're going to crack it and use it yourself. And if you're any kind of magic player, you're going to have no trouble pulling great cards out of there that you're going to want to use. And if you use them for a while and then some of them pop off, like it takes longer than you were expecting. Oh, well, <laughs> welcome to being a long-term magic player in your collection, just being the gift that keeps on giving. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's a good, a good product to own. All right. One last pick this week to fairy time raveler foils. Currently uh, are drying up, ramps setting up, headed for 50. You can still get copies between 30 and 34. I see zero reason to hold back on this. Cards in standard, cards in modern, cards in in 
EDH, never going to go anywhere, ridiculously good, not going to get banned. Just buy the foils. <laughs> you think now is the now is the play, huh? We're past peaks. Because I've been we're waiting. Past, we're past I've been peak waiting. supply and war. Standard is not what's propping up the foils. At in comparison to say, like Teferi Hero of Dominaria, his foils peaked as a mythic. His masterpiece peaked over 300. Now it's back down to 140 at rotation. His foils, uh, normal foils have also dropped. And I suspect we're going to get a chance at him under $20 when he was up over 50. Um, so that's all worth considering. But I think that Teferi Time Raveler foils are mostly high from Commander plus Modern. Okay. Whereas okay. Hero of Dominaria, blue-white decks usually only run a single copy. And since Raveler showed up, they're running less Domin Hero and more Raveler. Because it's a busted Planeswalker at three instead of a five that might be give you two mana back. I I want to buy this card. I've just been waiting for the right time. And I you know, I kind of check every couple weeks. And as opposed to Throne of Eldraine, for a, a few things. First of all, War is a super deep set. Um, and it's going to go off the chain, which we're pretty close to already. And it's pre-Core 2020, so the foils are more rare. They are like one foil rare per box instead of two. And um, the only caveat is that the Japanese Planeswalkers obviously are in more demand, but... As we've talked about a couple times, the Japanese art for this particular card is not better. It's arguably worse. So, unlike things like Nisa or Narset or Liliana, where I think the Japanese cards are going to continue to be the more desired, I see no reason why the English won't be um, in this case. Oh yeah, that art, that Japanese art is nowhere near as good. As opposed to, say, Karn, where it's completely mm. reversed. Yeah. Uh, well, if this is the time, then I'm on board. I mean, I, I love buying buying this card. It's just trying to pick your spot. But yeah, I can see, you know, your, your low on TCG right now is like 30, about 33, 33.50 after shipping, but it's 40 almost instantly. And then crawling, really and then crawling hard to 50. No one's, yeah. in a, no one's in a rush. And realistically, once it starts to go... Yeah. When you see ramps like this for cards that are still in print, what it says is that the vendors think they will get their price. They don't feel the need to undercut because mm -hmm. they figure they, they wait two or three months, then the ramp will give out below them and they'll be the lowest price. Yep. It's my, it's my preferred strategy. It's called the be lazy strategy. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I would guess that buy list is probably at like 25 on these right now. Let me just double check my assumption. This is just played everywhere. So Bylas is already at thirty credit, twenty two fifty in cash. Um, so your your thirty four dollar purchase is underwritten pretty hard, ninety percent secured. He he's only in twenty three hundred EDH decks, which can't possibly be right so far. Like, yeah, I yeah, yeah. I mean, and their other cards have are have a faster uptick than him, but like, really, like. It puts everyone at the table at, into sorcery speed. 
And every time you plus him, just all of your sorceries have flashed through all of your opponent's turns. That seems insane. Yeah. Oh my God. So good. Like, I would put this in my Brago deck, right? Like, bounce some idiot's crap and draw a card and then flicker him and then plus him. And just every turn, you can just keep doing that. Yeah. Oh, oh, this guy, this card's so good. Your all, your only concern is that they print another foil in something. You know, if it's a dual deck or whatever it is, those products that they're printing these days. But yeah, I'm totally on board with buying foils of this. And if you can get a ten percent, and if now is the time, ten percent off coupon and get it down under thirty, all the better. Um, now, one of the side issues here. Um, to coupons on ebay etc is that in most states in the u.s ebay is now charging tax um and the impact of taxes in the u.s is probably a whole fourth segment for us in the coming weeks because it (laughs) majorly messes with my game plan on multiple levels so lots of lots of stuff (laughs) to discuss there (laughs) we have to start doing arbitrage to oregon on russian foils that the russians won't import to canada because the canadian postal service keeps losing russian packages i'm gonna set up a p.o box in oregon and run my business out of there yep because nobody's in or nobody's there don't have to pay any sales tax pretty sweet see it'll be the amazon haven like amazon will specifically not put uh like any distribution or warehouse or whatever in one particular state so that you can have an address in that state and not have to pay any tax well the problem now is that it doesn't seem to be based on that it it, the no they change it like well the current laws are now that it it doesn't matter where the origin point is or whether the business has operations in that state that was the original thing with tcg when they started charging tax but now it's just the destination point so, for instance, if you are a Canadian selling on eBay.com, as I am, you are still having taxes collected on your sales because it hasn't. It's it's nothing to do with you are Canadian or U.S. It's just you're selling into the U.S. So now, so if yeah. I sell to a state that collects tax on internet sales, then that person gets taxed. Now, eBay collects it for me, but I wouldn't be surprised at all if I had the IRS come knocking on my door and being like. Wait, who are you? How can we get money from you? You're Canadian? Yeah, but you know mm-hmm. what? You sold on eBay. You show, we're going to claim you still owe us money. And then you're going to have to go through some rigmarole where you're going to have to prove double taxation by showing your tax records in Canada. So that could be really annoying <laughs> down the road. <laughs> and it's not going to ever get better because it's not like uh, it's unlike wizards who are fooling around with products hoping they're going to work. The, the Once the government gets a tax in their teeth, they're not going to let it go. Yeah, that that doesn't happen very often unless it's something that uh, Republicans sell a lot. But I, 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 yeah, the taxes are pretty brutal. And I mean, it, to be fair, like it makes more sense the way they've got it set up now. It was definitely a huge loophole in the past that I certainly enjoy taking advantage of. But like, I respect that part. You know, part part of it is a loophole, but it, there, it is kind of weird. The charging tax based on destination because it's a tax on the sale not on the purchase. If the tax was defined well, in the tax codes as a purchasing tax, that's a different thing, but it's not. So it should, in fact, be based on where it's coming from. And if it's coming from outside the borders, then in theory, it should be subject to customs fees, but not state taxes. So it's it's a weird interpretation of the premise. 
Um, but it's one of the things that's really, uh, I think, also going to hurt people is that I, I've noticed a drop off since that went into play in terms of singles volume sold on eBay, probably because now I'm basically in the same boat as TCG sellers, where there are still other pl- uh, vendors and platforms that aren't collecting those taxes yet. And until they catch up and everybody's collecting the taxes, there's a lot of benefit to just not buying from platforms that charge tax. Once it's impossible to dodge, things will be even again and sales should recoup. But for like for now, like one of our vendor partners, say Miniature Market, they don't charge taxes. Hmm. Where are they? Do we know where they're located? Uh, yeah, it's not based on where they're located, though. It's just they haven't updated their systems to comply. Like, everybody's got to go through a process. Oh. You know what I'm saying? Like, their site's just not doing it yet. But it will. Within the year, I'm sure everybody has to. So. I mean, technically, they're supposed to, they're supposed to be doing it now. Perhaps. Like, maybe there's maybe there's hardship exclusions or something like that that they can claim. Yeah. So, I mean, th- you're going to get to the mm. point where me risking, like, a lot of the time I ship into the U.S. from the U.S., but I may just start shipping to Canada and taking the risk at the border, especially on smaller packages they typically won't get taxed at the border. On bigger stuff, they will because they'll declare the value. Um, and we pay 13% up here. So state tax will still be better than Canadian federal plus provincial. But it's just going to be a lot more to think about <laughs> that wasn't an issue two years ago. Yeah, it's it's a mess. It's a mess. No question about that. Uh, but okay, that's way off the point. Uh, I like to vary. I think foils of this guard are good. Let's jump over to segment three, our metagame. Hold up, hold up. We gotta, we gotta do our we thing have... where we pick our pick of the week. They like it when we do that. Which which one of these do you like best? Uh, mm, we don't. We're not. We haven't quantified what best means. Most likely to succeed, but well, so most likely to succeed is like probably the Horizons booster box. But if we're talking about like. I get let, let's let, let's let's be more accurate. Let's quantify best as which of these handed a hundred dollars would I or you know five hundred dollars just to cover the cost of the box would I buy right now? But to my mind, bet to, to be will, more specific, my mind best is ROI times probability that that ROI prediction comes true. We yeah, that's fair. I I'm but yes. Uh, but okay. So if you do it by that, then the ROI of something like Sword of the Animist could be much higher than the Horizons booster box if you expect to be able to sell Sword of the Animist in three weeks. Uh, I I am going to give my vague best pick to sort of the animus i think because i because ah, the supply on that is so low that if you can actually get these at 12 i think you can turn them around really quickly but you know there are some weeks where like i think everything is decent but this week i think like the booster boxes are great i think teferi i've been waiting to buy teferis i think sort of the animus is in a really good position um i like a lot of cards quite a bit this week i think I think I throw my pick at the lowest ROI. I think Modern Horizons booster boxes have such a high, like almost 100% success rate that I think that's my pick. But yeah, any of our other picks are fine if we're right. 
Um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna rank I'm gonna <laughs> I, rank them like I'm, this. This is good I'll, I'll if I'm right. This is booster box, sort of the animus, then Teferi Time Reveler. Yeah, yeah. I I can't fault you for for liking uh, the booster boxes at all. I mean, you, I think it's I I think booster boxes are the safest choice here. No question. All right, so let's uh, we're just going to dip into the developing standard metagame here. Obviously, you got to take all the deck lists and commentary and theory articles with a grain and podcasts with a grain of salt. Around, but not the podcast hosts. Yeah, no salt. Um, I've quite cholesterol because they have a vested interest in covering up some of their best ideas <laughs> as they prepare right. for big major tournaments, but. <laughs> them and wizards <laughs> um but for instance we have access to the eldraine sapphire division deck lists that are the pros uh the pro league that's uh, broadcast on twitch um and some of the top pros have you know ha- they have to register their lists in advance and so we have access to some of this stuff one of the cards i'm not surprised to see setting up shop uh, alongside oko thief of crowns which seems to be everywhere is uh, Nisa Who Shakes the World. Uh, it was a four of in the spring. I made money on it. It looks like it's going to be a four of in this standard. Probably going to make some more money cleaning up, cleaning out the remaining copies I have on hand. Um, Gilded Goose looks real as a not particularly exciting, but necessary um, food slash mana producer. Um, Wicked Wolf, Questing Beast, um, seem to be the mid-range green beaters of choice. And Hydroid Crassus has been a superstar pretty much the entire time. It's been in play in standard and looks like it will be again. I'm, uh, there's a deck here over on the MTGO standard list that's blue-green that does not play Hydroid Crassus, which is fascinating. It's a Simic Duck Brazen Borrower. Brian Rock. Brineborn Cutthroat, which is the uncommon merfolk from M20 that just gets counters when people play spells. Filled Mystic, the Night Pack Ambusher, but not the 4 mana 3 3 1 that fights when it comes into play. Hmm, it's a funky deck. It's not, it's like, play, it's playing Simic, but it doesn't seem to be playing any of the Simic cards I'd expect. So when we talk to, to Daniel in the next segment that was recorded two days ago, um, he makes fun of the Reed Duke mm-hmm. deck and the decks that are running the plethora of adventures. Um, these are basically built around Edgewell Innkeeper being the 1-1 one, one for 1 that draws you a card when you cast a creature spell that has an adventure. Um, so whether or not uh, it went on the adventure first. So Innkeeper is just looking to be like a card advantage engine where you're getting two for ones out of all your cards. And then that deck also runs four once upon a time and four March of the multitudes. Um, once upon a time worth keeping your eye on as a standard modern crossover card that could be approximate Karn, the great creator slash Teferi time raveler levels of play. Um, March of the multitudes, of course, is a mythic people have specked on all year, hoping it was going to get there in some kind of token strategy. I'm seeing uh, a good bit of uh, gutter bones here. Yeah, all the pretty much all the black and black red decks. It, it doesn't look like a knight deck is going to be real. That's kind of what I've been hearing. Um, that the knights just don't have enough payoffs to go tribal. Doesn't mean some of the knights aren't seeing play, but not. 
it's just that they're good enough, to, not because they're a knight, but good enough on the rest of their stats. So, for instance, there's a yeah, there's a like black green deck in play: murderous riders, order of midnight, questing beast, rankle master of pranks, foulmire knight, edgewall innkeeper, four lovestruck beast, masker girl, fine finality, legion's end, four once upon a time, and three assassins trophy. That's uh, Fyodor Glogowski's uh, contribution to the Sapphire League this week. What did I pick? Gutter Bones at. I picked. Remember we remember I picked that card and we talked about it. I want to say a buck fifty. I have to go back and check. I didn't. I I didn't say to buy it at a dollar fifty. Did I? Maybe I did. Because it's like that's about where it is now. There's a lot of decks in a row here with that. With this card, three or four in a row now in the standard league. By the way, shout out to MTGO player Gal Dukat, uh, Deep Space Nine, best Star Trek. How about shout out to everybody who said that once Scape Shift rotated, the Field of the Dead decks were going to be dead? Eh, wrong. Bant Golos looks totally real. Four Teferi Time Raveler, four Arboreal Grazer, four Golos Tireless Pilgrim, three Realm Cloak Giant, four Hydroid Crassus. For circuitous route, time wipe, grow spiral, once upon a time, and then twenty-eight lands. I've seen this this deck get played on stream in the last week. It's totally real. None of them in the standard league over here. The the non sapphire league. Uh, you're talking about the early early the, results. Not on the MGK. sapphire league. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they probably just missed it, in all honesty. Golos being a standard card is fascinating. He's very popular in yeah, Commander, too. I don't think too. people saw that coming. Um, there's a Martin Yuza deck here that Daniel's going to talk about a, a bit. Uh, four Cavalier of Flame, four Cavalier of Gales. Those were Cavaliers were cards that uh, pro, tra- pra- pro traders specced on pretty hard via Euro group buys, so <laughs> they'll be pleased if they get their buy list out on those. Uh, and this is running yeah. four Fires in Invention the- as well. The time for the Cavaliers just hasn't come yet. That's what's going on there. That'll be Theros. Uh, Golos, by the way, probably not a buy. The five color really, really is a the bummer there. If he did, if he wasn't five color, it'd be so much more appealing. But there are fifty five pack foils, fifty five vendors with pack foils right now. That is a lot of action. Yeah, so it looks like the format probably is no shaping up around red black or mono black aggro versus bant and simic and jund and uh sultai mid-range builds that are easy either in white so they can have teferi or in black so they can have better kill spells and murderous rider and there's the esper stacks deck that we were talking about last week that's built around doom foretold um that looks pretty real um, the Bant Lands deck that I just alluded to um, that's built around Field of the Dead. And... I mean, there's going to be three Ooh. or four different flavors of Simic and Sultai that are running Oko and then whatever they think makes sense that week. Here you go. This guy's got four... He's got three Nissa Who Shakes the World and four Vivian Arcbow Ranger. Now, Vivian Arcbow Ranger has triple green in her casting cost. Uh, that's something to keep in mind for when Theros starts poking its head around. She's yep. three bucks right now. All these triple, triple so if, pip cards. Yeah, so Vivian is doing reasonably well in standard, like enough that she's clearly decent, but 
not enough to really push her price past three. She's That'll a, be worth keeping an eye on. She's a core 2020 mythic. Yeah. Right. Yeah. All right. So That'll let's, uh, let's uh, go back in time and talk to Daniel Fournier. All right. And now we're on to segment four, the segment I know you've all been waiting for this week. James and I are joined by very appreciated special guest, Mr. Daniel Fournier, fresh off the heels of another PTQ win with Mono Red Prowess. Uh, Dan, thank you for joining us tonight. Thanks for having me. What's up? Welcome, welcome, Daniel. Um, remind us, is, does that qualify you for the Pro Tour? Qualifies me for the... <laughs> it's impossible to know. Uh it qualifies me for the last ever p- tabletop mythic championship. Oh, <laughs> it's wait. cool! I've got to play the last pro tour. I'm going to get to play the last mythic championship, and who knows? Maybe I'll qualify for the last players tour. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I know I'll try my best. So I guess that's up to them more than it is up to me. All right, wait, hold on. So there's no more paper mythic championships. Did they just change the name again? Yes. <laughs> yeah, they're back to being called players tours in 2020. Okay, so. I, sorry, I said back to. It's more like they're back to being PTs. They're not called players tours. There's regional and global players tours. I don't know. Whatever. They're still PTs. <laughs> they're just different. Gotcha. We, get, we we tried to explain this about I think four to six weeks ago on cast. Uh, I'm sure, pretty sure we massacred it. Like the the flow chart is just insane. Yeah. With, I, Wizards is honestly, all about I, the I, unnecessary I, complexity these days. Yeah, I tried to make sense of the whole like path to MPL, path to rival stuff, and just realized that I will try to read that if I spike a magic tournament. <laughs> Otherwise, I will I will live on in blissful ignorance. If I spike like, something, now, the plan is just to win. Oh, yeah, if I spike something, I'll ask Sam Black to explain it to me. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. No need to do all the hard work yourself. Nope. All right, so we have uh, we have Dan on this week to discuss, of course, Throne of Eldraine and its place within our uh, myriad of, of formats. So we're going to kick off things here uh, in standard. Uh, we'll start. Let's start from the top, right? We should probably start from the best card and work our way down. What do you think? Do you like that? I like starting off strong. It always feels better that way. Okay. All right. So first card on the list this week. Uh, I sit on the wait list this week like I'm doing segment one. I get into my habits here. Is uh, the the probable most relevant card for standard? We're looking at is Fabled Passage, which is just the better evolving wilds. This is sack for a basic land card and put it in the play. But if you control a couple lands, it comes in the play untapped. Uh, current price eight dollars. Um, you know we have this as the number one card for standard. Is that your take two, Dan, or are you somewhere else from from, from us? It's definitely not the most powerful card in Standard, but I'm confident it will be one of the most ubiquitous cards in Standard. Yeah, that's it will I'm... be around. It will be like three, four copies or whatever in a ton of Standard decks for a long time. Uh, yeah, this card's good. It's way better than Evolving Wilds. Like getting your land four coming into play on top in a format that like is more and more consistently about these like unbeatable four and five mana cards. Stuff like, like Questing Beast or like Teferi Hero of Dominaria in the past, all that kind of stuff. Th- this card's nice. And especially with the, the mana looking to be a little bit awkward going forward, I'm happy with Fabled Passage. There is a, a little problem with it where it interacts negatively with the scry effects in all of the temples. Mm-hmm. And we're expecting to see probably a second set of them in the new Theros set. 
So, like, resetting all of your scries off of the fetching is not great, but whatever. Good card. Yeah, and the thing here is that because we're going to Theros, we're probably going to be pushed towards mono color decks. There's a whole lot of three and four pip cards, even in Throne of Eldraine and coming out of course at 2020. So it feels like we're going to be getting some mono and, and two color decks and that Fable Passage is going to do some work in those environments. Yes, definitely agree. If if we're looking at $8 for this, you know, I think that good rare lands, good rare dual lands in standard on their first printing usually float in like the four to maybe eight range, four to seven. So if Fabled Passage is technically like a five color card, right? Like every person in the room could conceivably run in Fabled Passage, $8 almost seems like a buy, right? Like I feel like this could be a $15 rare land. I wouldn't be too confident about that. Uh, while I do think that there will always be decks in standard that want Fables Passage at any given point, I don't think it's always going to be such a ubiquitous card. Like, we're not seeing it in all the decks that are coming up. Okay. Uh, especially if we're going to be seeing a lot of, like, yeah, like triple pip uh, cards like Ayara, First of Logthwain, or whatever. In those decks, you don't want your dual lands to be fetch lands. You want them to be lands that will always tap for black and can always tap, also tap for green or something. You'd rather play a guild gate in a two-color deck that has, a, like, heavy mana requirements. Okay. Uh, where it will shine is in, like, three-color decks that are in need of another another dual land. And those decks will always exist, and they will always be there, and they will always play Fable Passage. But it's not like everyone in the room is going to be playing it. And I do think that, like, $8 is probably, probably the high end. Okay. Okay. So we're talking about it being very common, but not ubiquitous. We're not looking at... You know, a modern room, a modern room. Hobo, hobo. You're right. You did say ubiquitous. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, I probably meant a different kind of ubiquitous. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm somewhere in the I'm somewhere in the middle to split the difference. The some of the decks that I've seen for the standard, um, like Sapphire League or whatever it's called, looked like the pros were leaning towards two, three, or four copies, depending on which deck we're talking about. But it's still showing up in a bunch of different archetypes. And all of that combined means it probably ends up as the most played rare, unless there's a rare that's a four of and at least two other archetypes. So another candidate would be the next card on the list, Murderous Rider, um, being a hero's downfall that gives you a lifelink creature (laughs) on the back end. That's just like a tremendously good rate at the top end of the power curves for standard, right? Yeah, th- this card's very good. I, sorry, before I truly go on, I want to say one more thing about Fabled Passage. Scrolling through the Sapphire Division deck list from the MPL, I certainly do see more than a couple decks where Fabled Passage would almost definitely just be better off as Skullgarvy Guildgate. Uh, okay. Decks with like complicated mana requirements that want to be playing stuff like the aforementioned Murderous Rider, but also have like green bunch of green costs in them, some double green off of like Questing Beast and stuff, the single green from Edgewell Innkeeper. Like, these decks' manic requirements can get complicated, and in a two-color deck that's playing things on, like, turns one, two, and three, Fable Passage is, like, not necessarily that much better than a Guildgate, which is a bit of an indictment of the powerful rare land status that it holds. But I still like it, and it's still good, and Murderous Rider is great. This card is so powerful. Ah, sorry, you know what? Powerful is the wrong word. This card is so average. (laughs) It's so good at being average. (laughs) It does so much so averagely. And just an efficient answer that's also this, like, 
crappy creature that has lifelink like oh just rocks i love this card do you think people are in general underestimating the power of the inherent card advantage built into adventure cards uh i think definitely for sure if we're talking about uh magic players as a whole uh looking at these uh mpl deck lists it's pretty clear that they these guys love adventure cards (laughs) all of these decks are just jam-packed with all of the worst ones and then (laughs) edgewall innkeepers that draw cards off of them like there's so many of these decks i would never have expected it sweet it's funny Uh, you mentioned the worst ones they're good i actually spent some time this weekend trying to get good deals on them overseas uh on magic card market in europe and realized pretty quickly that there aren't that many great cards like for the yeah, long term. a lot of the common ones especially there's some some weak stuff and like th- well, I mean, this list is four copies of smitten sword master that's the two one <laughs> lifelink for two mana like wow yeah. <laughs> that's embarrassing people are going well, i mean at that. mythic I, there's only- I, I've, pl- I've played worse but <laughs> i mean at mythic we only have two anyway we have brazen borrower um yeah uh which i'm a little mystified by but we'll get to that and realm cloak giant which I think most people mistake for a rare at first glance because it feels like one. Um, yeah, sure feel, sure does. There's not very much text on that card. And then feels rare. And then at rare, there's nothing all that exciting. Um, well, in the don't don't do my boy Bone Crusher Giant dirty like that. That card rocks. Well, I mean, for standard, sure, Murderous Rider and Bone Crusher. Oh yeah, sure. Kind of- I don't think any of these cards are particularly relevant for modern. Yeah, or or EDH for that matter. The um, I have seen what's some- that. Okay. Fair. It, I'm, um, I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Good although by ne- although by next Not year you're me. gonna be you're gonna be playing competitive magic in the corner while Commander takes over the whole hall. Uh, I can't wait. <laughs> I can't wait to act, like finally become the true casual. <laughs> the true casual playing the competitive standard. casual dynamic flips completely. Oh yeah, that'd be sick. That would make a lot of people really angry, and I for one can't wait. Mm-hmm. This is an odd. Right, so- it's, it's odd that we're having this discussion though, right? That to me that. There's like a very shallow pool of interesting rares, and the power level seems to drop off quickly because the nope, that's that's not what I said. It's not interesting rares. It's interesting adventure rares. It's strange to me oh, that the main core yeah. theme of the set doesn't deliver a bunch of long term staples. Or I'm underestimating some of these cards and the power of have them having basically two cards on them. Yeah, I mean, they're I, I, I think. Sorry, go ahead. I just they're they're. They are definitely not a card that parses well at first glance. It's I think this is definitely one of those mechanics that it is hard to like appreciate the value inherent in having the two cards split. So even if both halves are bad, having both of them on one card is is good. And I just you know like people were really bad at figuring out Planeswalkers when they came out, and I kind of think Adventures might be in the same space. And it's possible that they're still not good enough. But I'm guessing they're on average better than most players think they are. Even if I'm also looking at them and thinking they're garbage, I'm just leaning on past experience with complicated mechanics and players underestimating them. If, if John Rolfe has decided that Smitten Swordmaster, which is a very low rate card, is good enough to play in the MPL, maybe we're not giving them really enough, uh, enough of a look. This deck I is mean, two copies of Reaper of Night in the sideboard. What the hell is going on? You know what? Never mind. He's wrong. <laughs> my, my, my feeling is that the, the adventures were set up to create an interesting new standard environment. That they didn't give too much of a thought to what happened beyond that with those cards in particular. He was playing Reaper of Night in standard? 
I don't know what's... Yeah, there's two copies in the sideboard. I guess there's four lucky clovers in the deck, so it can copy it and so, make so they it, can uh, so they can double up their adventure spells their four mana mind rot i don't know i, I don't like this <laughs> <laughs> but a, a, anyways don't buy like foil uh storybook reaper of nights or whatever just because you saw it here just i mean th- those matches have not been played yet when does that go down uh, it, there's literally no way it's easy to figure that out <laughs> You have three people who It'll make money. just mo- pop up on Twitch at some point. You have three people who uh, make I love money the people in the MPL dearly, but yeah, I, the MPL is great. I love the people in it, but I mean, it's not like anyone's watching it, so <laughs> <laughs> I guess it doesn't matter that they don't show where it is. <laughs> it's listen, impossible. Listen, those those little video windows on random video game sites are really paying attention hard. They're just waiting for us to Ooh. join them. Yeah, I can't wait to go to Dotapedia and accidentally watch the Mythic Championship. Google's nascent uh, advertising AI uh, is really getting into MPL right now as it sits on these tabs in the background of your browser. (laughs) Genius. Genius marketing strategies. All right, so once upon a time, people were pretty excited about it for modern. And I'm assuming that if it's good enough for modern, it's good enough for standard. Yeah, I think it's a little bit less exciting in standard because it's not like we have sick combo decks where it's like, oh, all this desperately needs is an added like 2% or 5% or whatever of consistency added by once upon a time. But generally speaking, cards that are efficient that give you selection that add consistency to your deck are still going to be good in standard. It's just not quite as exciting as it might be in, say, Amulet Titan to be able to have your bounce lands and have your Titan literally every game. Right. And at clocking in at 13 bucks i'm certainly happy to wait until we hit peak supply um right. i'd want to see this card actually make waves in modern or legacy first I'll, i like its chances in uh, dark depths which is a pretty ubiquitous deck in that format so i know <laughs> well, we don't talk about legacy on this show but you know <laughs> <laughs> well and the other thing is that with emery selling around seven to 750 i'll take my chances on emery long before i'll buy into once upon a time at 13 by the obviously Busto card instead of the, I hope this actually has enough of an impact to be Busto card. There's an argument to be made that Emery is a one deck pony in the same way that Urza is. Um, sure, but isn't Urza like $400? Uh, <laughs> closing it on 40 50, but, Yeah, 40 it, That's the same thing. That's the same thing. But if the two of them together post up in the top three decks in the format, then... Yeah, for sure. A lot of copies of both will sell. Sorry, I have a new joke for that last thing. For 40? Oh, I was right. That's 400 Canadian dollars. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The Americans like that. Keep that. We'll yeah. keep that one. Yeah. Okay, you know yeah. Your freedom dollars are so superior to our yeah. Canadian communist Dan, dollars. Dan, feel free to run back your jokes <laughs> as much as you want. And uh, I promise <laughs> you that I will just re-edit the cast after to make it look like you landed them in a timely fashion. Oh, hell yeah. yeah. Sure, Definitely. sure. I'll, I'll take two or three, two or three tries. Yeah. Def- to set some reactions. Definitely going to do that. A laugh track. We're using a laugh it's, track these days for when Jason Alt comes on. It's like when you're bombing a stand-up comedy set and you just try like more and more offensive jokes to try to get a rise out of the audience. And the As podcast. I said for Jason Alt. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So nobody's got Ouch. a fairly unassuming card, Gilded Goose at 650. Um, it's going to be all over the place, right? Because every format needs a Bird of Paradise It'll it's a pretty bad bird of par- Birds of Paradise, but it is, I still think, a pretty good card. I mean, if Oko um, didn't make food tokens, <laughs> yeah, the, the future if, of this card might be in jeopardy. It would be a lot worse for sure. 
Um, the part about it that's always been a little bit interesting to me and that I didn't really know how to evaluate when initially, well, I guess evaluating this card, was its ability to gain you three life a turn in, like, certain situations. Like, it does make food. That's kind of cool. Um, I do think this card is obviously way worse than Birds of Paradise and obviously, uh, sorry, less obviously, probably still worse than Land or Elves. But I'm still happy with it. I do think it's not a ubiquitous card. It needs to go with Oko. It needs to go with probably Wicked Wolf in the same deck. Like, I don't know. I, I would never like spec on a card it, like this. In a vacuum, yeah. it seems very bad. But the existence of Oko and also this Wicked Wolf that I am cool on, if that is actually decent, like the synergy between the three of them is enough to make Gilded Goose useful. Sure, but it's still just going in one standard deck, right? Uh, yeah, well, yeah. I mean, you might be able to get away with... I mean, just Oko and Goose. Like, cut the cut the Wolf. Like, right, the Wolf, the Wolf, Goose, Oko deck is like one deck. But, like, Oko, Goose could be a couple builds... Yeah, I, sure. You could. I think you could be Bant, like uh, the yeah. deck that uh, Jessica Stefan is playing in the Eldrain Split Sapphire Division MPL League. Uh, <laughs> yeah. w- which is, I think there's a goose in here, right? Yeah, it's Goose, uh, Oko, Teferi, Nissa, and then right. I don't know, the rest of the deck actually doesn't really matter. I think, <laughs> I think that deck's like, just that deck in and of itself is super powerful. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, the sure, you could do stuff like that, but. My impression is that Goose is actually multiple archetypes, and the question becomes whether the format narrows to a single deck that wants Goose that is clearly better than the other variants, or whether they have different roles to play in the format and we see them ping-pong around. Um, but at Maybe. 650, I don't want any part of the Goose. I, I, I will let it be known that this is a card that I want to own for standard, and I am not buying it at 650. <laughs> All right. I have a question. Conspiracy time. Do you think Wizards coordinated with that game studio to release Goose the same time that Goose Game came out? Absolutely. There's no question about it. And how Jeffrey Epstein is Jeffrey Epstein is alive and <laughs> what's he made untitled Goose and Game? And he's he, he's surviving on the profits from Goose Game. Uh how many people follow up oh, question. Uh, how many people are gonna be honking at F and M when they play this card, and how many people are gonna get alters to show Untitled Goose Game Goose on this goose. Wow, that's the weird. Money. How I'm not going F and M anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and then they want to tell you a story about how this it took an like all the details of the back and forth conversation that led to that amazing altar. I actually actually kind of like conversations like that because at least whoever I'm talking to is like honestly like truly super excited about what they're talking about they're earnest like i can i can enjoy yeah the earnestness of how happy they are about their gilded goose untitled goose game alter like hell yeah i respect that you know what that's way better for me than hearing some kind of like long 15 part bad beat story about how their opponent top deck this and then i drew a land and then it and oh, they got so lucky and then i misplayed and the, but they misplayed they misplayed more and then they oh, I, the thing I is care, I, having like, having witnessed you behind a counter um uh. i know that one day they'll wake up and realize that you you weren't actually on the same page as that and be crushed you've experienced the depths of the depravity let me tell you i, I actually right. just stopped asking my friends at magic tournaments how they're doing because i don't want to open the door to that care. conversation. Well, because that's exactly what you get is you get the bad B conversation. <laughs> like, I, I, I don't talk about it. 
I've just started being very honest about it. And someone starts telling me a bad beat story and I just tell them to their face, I don't want to hear your bad beat story. And they're sad and <laughs> it's awkward. But I, I don't have to hear it. So I win. <laughs> I did that. To, I did that to somebody once. Somebody started telling me a story. I told him I didn't want to hear it. Nine years later, he hates me. <laughs> it was, Yo, that rocks. <laughs> All right, so okay. is, 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 Oko, is Oko Thief of Crowns the defining card of this stage of the standard format? Oko plus is to six. Yeah, it's ridiculous. That's absurd. That's so much. You can't even kill it in combat. You can't kill it in combat, and then it says you can't play, like, was it, like, Power 3 or CMC 3 or whatever? Like, either way, it's like a prison card. It's absurd. Yeah, and then it can if this you let it good. get too high, it starts stealing shit. <laughs> it's making yeah, exactly. food tokens that it well, it just with your plus it can it can it can steal shit immediately. Yeah, how is that reasonable? <laughs> like you play it on turn two off of Gilded Goose, you plus it. It's at six. Your Gilded Goose is active again, and if they play a creature, you steal it. That's wild. Yeah, with power three or less, which is a, a wide swath of the format at that stage of the game. Yeah, which is why you have to play. Oh god, what's the card's called? Uh, this is why you have to play Questing Beast to kill it quickly, but it still doesn't kill it. <laughs> gotcha. It's six. Goes up to right. six. So the card's at thirty. This could be an Elspeth situation, right? Like Theros level Elspeth peaking in the forty to forty-five dollar range. Uh I mean. I don't remember I, what Elspeth was worth at any point, but <laughs> I put I do think this card is, is very good and will always be seeing play in standard, so long as it is legal. I put Oko in my article Monday morning as a possible buy at thirty. Because it's a three mana planeswalker, it's impossible to kill. Everyone on Twitter is like talking about how good it is, they're complaining it's too good. No one has had a bad thing to say about this card past the second day. And I thought it was kind of crap when I first saw it, but everyone is so on board. I'm like, hey, I know when I'm wrong. I will listen. So I think we could see this turn around to 40 maybe even $50 opening like early, early, right? Like eventually the supply will catch up within the like two or three weeks and bring the price down. Um, yeah, on the floor at the first major tournaments, I could see that happening. Yeah. And it, like, what did Hero of Dominaria peak at? Uh, high, but eh, but it's a modern card too, and it's EDH commander, so it was it was high. Um, but Elspeth was about thirty five, pushing forty on a couple of different weekends. Yeah, Ally Zendikar broke forty once or twice. Oh yeah, maybe Ally Zendikar is a better uh, comparison. Analog, yeah. Lilia, Liliana the Veil hit eighty. Now. Also, uh, yeah, I mean, that, also that, that's the, different. Also, the first weekend, Reed Duke won a legacy tournament with Lily, poor Liliana the Veil. Like that was just like. So this is my problem with Oko at thirty, and I, I wrote about this too. Is that he's he could be the best card in standard by an entire tier, but he's probably not in any other formats. Whereas look, stuff like to look f- at his abs, though. I mean, yeah, he's <laughs> he's stolen everyone's heart as well as their crowns, but. Uh, Everyone's incredibly thirsty, for those, <laughs> yeah. which I think is worth at least a few. <laughs> what, what, what Patreon? What the Patreon do we have to hit to have Dan Fournier cosplay as Oko at his next oh. pro tour? <laughs> I mean, he the, the, Oko's appears to have like a an, an eight pack say or something. Pack. Whereas I, I've got this strong one pack going on. Got, a, so. got the keg pack. <laughs> I, I did spend two hours at the gym today. 
give me a little little, little bit more time you know we'll get there I am. Right. Anyways, I'll do it for free. I am enjoying thinking like six, seven years from now, everyone talking or that like six years from now, they they print a new version of Oko, and a bunch of people are talking about how when this card was first printed, it made them very confused, <laughs> and they realized something about themselves that they didn't know prior to seeing this card. Somebody, somebody's gonna have that story. There's no doubt. I think there's too many abs. <laughs> He's not human. Too much. He's not human. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> they can have he's a face so they might have different ab biology. anyways <laughs> good card right. so <laughs> wicked wolf you guys were pretty down on as we were building up to this cast um i'm seeing it as a four of all over the place at a dollar it's one of the, it's potentially one of the rares with the most upside percentage wise here that would almost think... certainly be a buy list play at from a dollar to two or something i think if it made food or something it would be better and see more play but i'm just like i don't know this is the kind of card that i'm confident will see play and will be in all these decks and will be good because of because oko exists and because gilded goose exists but like how exciting of a card is this to like do mtg finance with not very it's very like, risky sure maybe it becomes two dollars right like uh it's a three of in green mid-range decks but it's just a rare and like you're, well, there's I mean, no hype surrounding this card, right? And you know yeah. there's no hype surrounding this card because it's one dollar on like the week where everything is supposed to be a trillion dollars. Your play would be yeah. buying a huge stack of them from one source for a buck or so a piece, and then waiting for the buy list to hit like two to two fifty, and then shipping it for like again two fifty to three dollars store credit, and just d- dumping all of them at once. So you like tr- I feel like the chance of this card hitting the like five dollars necessary to do that is probably pretty unlikely. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the <laughs> I'm not some expert on how much cards cost and how their uh, <laughs> other prices fluctuate and whatnot but this is the kind of card that i i feel very strongly about when i need a card in the middle of a standard format and i send an email to face-to-face games asking for them off of my store credit they say oh yeah we picked up four wicked wolf for you uh, the total of your pile comes to a dollar and 75 cents i think oh wow that was cheap mm-hmm. <laughs> like, all right <laughs> that's how i feel about this card <laughs> So likewise, I'm, I'm sure we can agree Bone Crusher Giant is going to see probably at least a commensurate amount of play versus Wicked Wolf, but it's currently at 350, being one of the sexier adventure cards. Um, and I do have to admit that the alt art version is pretty pretty nice looking. Love but, it. But uh, I don't love it any rare and standard at 350. Yeah, I think this is the exact same thing where at some point I'm going to buy them and I'll be like, oh, $4, that's... 50 cents more than 350. <laughs> I mean, he definitely seems like mo- any red deck in standard is probably going to start with these. They might cut them. So did same with Goblin Chain Whirler, right? And that was never a card that was actually worth any money. Yeah, that's kind of where I was going. It was like, you assume that he's going to be the most played yeah, six or red seven card, tops. but did that get you anywhere? All these random standard rares that C played never seemed to actually be worth anything. No. That's why I'm also concerned about like a murderous rider being $11. It's like, I don't know, I'm not buying it at 11. I'd buy it at 5 maybe. I mean, murderous rider alt art maybe maybe. Yeah, yeah, sure. I, I guess there's some there's somewhere to go on like the alt art foil stuff, but the, the certainly the though, normal card is not attractive. The problem though is that because the alt art isn't collector booster exclusive. I think there's plenty of it around. 
I saw a lot of packs being opened on pre-release weekend, and these cards seemed way more common than I thought they were. Sure. Yeah, and those those ratios are not well documented yet. Um, but we did have I did have a little bit of data come in from some vendors over the weekend that suggested that it was something like three to one or four to one or something regular to to alt art. Um, but I, I think the people that ordered like day one from Star City got a good deal, and otherwise, I'm just willing to let Murderous Rider do its thing. I would agree. Same with Burn uh, Pressure Giant for me. I mean, even yeah. Heroes Downfall about- was all like capped at like 14, didn't it? And that was in a format where Mono Black was the clear best deck by like a mile. I would say several miles. Yeah. Yeah. So, Rankle Master of Pranks, real card in standard? <sighs> I don't know. It sounds like I, a guy. I love this. Sounds like a guy. I love this card, but I have no confidence in it. I, I certainly don't like it at 850. Yeah. It, it is a mythic, isn't it? No. Is oh. it? <laughs> yeah. Maybe, maybe I, maybe yeah, it's right. mythic. Okay. Still don't like it at 850. I, yeah, I like the, the I like the borderless rankles long term for EDH. Yeah, I I don't see this card seeing particularly much standard play. I have messed around with uh like mono black decks that play like uh dreadhorde invasion and lazotep reaver in the two drop slot to like try to take advantage of a bunch of ways of breaking certain symmetries on like rankle master pranks and uh, Liliana dreadhorde general and stuff, but. Uh, a bunch of friends of mine have been playing a ton of mono black, and it turns out that you don't need cards like Rankle or cards like Liliana to have a very powerful mono black deck, and you can just play all these like random creatures and just kill your opponents with them. So it's just gonna be it's just gonna be a low slung. Yeah, like getting cute isn't how you win at Magic. So what? Fair. Right. What? Yeah, <laughs> I know it makes me deeply <laughs> upset. Given that doing cute nonsense is the only thing I want to do in Magic these days, but. <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> All right, so at $15, one of the other mythics on this list, Brazen Borrower. I love this card. I love this card more than any other card in this set on this list. Really? Standard. Yeah, I love In Order My Mom and then Brazen Borrower <laughs> and then my bed. Like, do you expect to win games with Brazen Borrower? You just like the idea? Oh, no. No, no, I just like it. <laughs> <laughs> you, see, the thing that offends me about this is that, as everybody has pointed out, it seems like it was originally intended to steal things, and then they decided to depower the card. <laughs> the card name sucks. Yeah, I'm really surprised. But I love the card. I'm really surprised that when they depowered the card, they didn't rename it. Like, how hard... Yeah. Like, you don't have to change the art, but, like, if they remove all of the borrowing component, they don't come up with, like, you know, Tricky Fairy or something slightly more clever. <laughs> tricky Fairy. It's it certainly is a strange name. <laughs> I, I do love this card. I think it's very it's cool how versatile it is. It does a lot of stuff. There there is a, the the drawback on it is huge. It can only what it just can't block or something. You can only block creatures with flying or something. That, that that's a pretty big drawback. I love the upside of cards like Vandillion Clique was that they were actually able to block Flash in combat. Block. Yeah, and that was that was a huge upside against. Uh, decks where the other effect of the card like the 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 thought sees or the uh in this case the disperse was not at its best this doesn't quite have that here but 
don't know. This this is a good card. It should see a bunch of play. Uh, something notable is that as I scroll through these MPL deck lists, there is not a single copy of yeah. Grayson Borrower, yeah. which is something point. to keep in mind. That said, there's some absolute nonsense going on in these lists. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so how about Fires of Invention? Uh I think underestimated at first and then about two or three days later was all the rage and people have talked about it in most formats. <laughs> this card's super powerful. Uh, I do think there's a little bit of that classic MTG getting way too excited about cards thing going on, but mm-hmm. I, I do think it's quite good. Uh, it's obviously powerful. I like Martin Hughes's uh, Jeskai Fires deck in this, this deck drop I keep referencing. Uh, it's just playing a bunch of like these Cavaliers, cards like Drawn from Dreams, Bone Crusher Giant. It's just like a, it's just using Fires of Invention to cast two spells every turn and then in like a, a very fair way and using Castle Vantress to actually uh, use yeah, your mana still with the card. Fair. I like it a lot. He was running four copies of that castle, right? Yeah. That's Which I think makes sense. Castle. I think it makes a lot of sense if this is what you're doing. Yeah, is he... Uh, I'm not like actually confident that this deck is good, but I, I like it. <laughs> I don't have the the data in front of me. Is he running uh, anything that puts lands in the play? No, it doesn't. It doesn't ramp at all. But it, it, it's more of a control deck. Like it has to fairy. It has deafening clarion. It has bone crusher giant to shoot things. Mm. Um, I, it says aether gust on it in the main deck, which is that shoot like it. Tops or bottoms, uh, a red or green spell or permanent, that card. I feel like that's probably a typo. That seems like a weird card to play, or that he had some huge metagame information. But I do think this deck's sweet, and Fires' Invention is obviously the core of it. Um, that said, I don't feel like it's that ubiquitous a card. Like, I think there's going to be archetypes that are going to be built around it. But... There's there's one copy of this deck. I'm sure everyone tried it because it's the kind of card that's that we play magic. Like obviously, for. a thing you want to try. <laughs> yeah, like we'll, we'll have to see. We'll have to see about this card. I have been buying the fancier versions of this card where I've seen them cheaply because it feels to me like a card where in the non foil, I think I was picking up copies under a buck fifty, maybe a dollar, dollar twenty five. I'm looking. I, if it hits in modern or catches on EDH while it's still in standard and is a big deal, then the buy the two two to three dollar buy list could show up for the non foil copies. And then the borderless cards that are collector booster exclusives, I think people are going to see that the peak supply in those comes a lot sooner than it does for the rest of the set because they're basically only available until the holiday packs um, are done sitting around. And I feel like the most important segment of that release is actually this period where everybody's opening their 12 packs of collector boosters that they may have pre-ordered next week and the week after. And then there's the delivery of the deluxe collection that has 16 packs a a piece. Um, But if a lot of those stay sealed because people decide to flip them, then that may not add that much. So definitely looking at those cards like fires of invention out of the set that have legs in multiple formats. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. I'll save my uh, opinions on this card in Modern for when we, spoiler alert, discuss it in Modern. (laughs) So, Questing Beast, $17. You said this, in your mind, this should have taken the slot that Wicked Wolf had. I think this card's Busto. Uh, 
I keep saying that, it means busted, in case that wasn't obvious. <laughs> it's a little bit of that Canadian <laughs> slang. Yeah, yeah, we, you know you know how we say it up here, eh? Oh, yeah, give me a little double-double, extra busto. <laughs> <laughs> double-double's not a Canadian <laughs> thing. Actually, yeah, it is. Yeah, of course it is. I, it's the only Tim, Canadian like, thing. Like Everything Tim else Hortons. is fake. I have definitely heard people yeah. say double-double. Yeah, but it means here. like different things elsewhere. Like in California, double-double means two doubles at In-N-Out. <laughs> I learned I learned that upon ordering a double double at In and Out and <laughs> what, being very disappointed. Why would you at it being a bad burger? Why would you order? Why would you go into an In and Out and say double double when you want coffee? <laughs> just lost I didn't want coffee. Brain. No, no. It's, <laughs> I was ordering burgers, two doubles, a double. Do you double. guys have coffee? I'm from Canada and I can't find it in Hortons. I wait, wait, wait. So I, I need wait to roll up the rim. What did you order from In and Out that you request? What did you want when you ordered it from? So you can get you can you can get a double cheeseburger called a double. Okay. And if you ask for two of them, you ask for a double double. Okay. And what did you get? I got two double cheeseburgers and they sucked because so In and Out's bad. So you got what you wanted. <laughs> yeah, and I was disappointed. So, it was bad. So it's it's a. <laughs> It doesn't make it a Canadian thing. Yeah. No, the Canadian listen, listen, version is, cool is a Canadian coffee. Story be cool. <laughs> don't, don't mess with our stories. I was just disappointed that they were ruining the beautiful legacy yeah. of my country, which is the double double and yeah. our treatment, Stealing, our poor treatment of indigenous people. Is what it is. It's it's like walking a double double up here means you walk into you walk into the coffee shop, walk into Tim Hortons, say, "Oh, oh, hey, bud." Oh, the double double, eh? And then he gives you a coffee with it's dishwater, dishwater <laughs> with two milk and two sorry, two cream and two sugar, and you drink it and it tastes like sugared cream dishwater and it's disgusting. <laughs> and you and you're like, oh yeah, this is a real Canadian moment, eh? But if, oh, yeah, definitely eh? not That's paid than for the by the Tim Hortons. On my polar bear. <laughs> but if you you said it at a burger joint, if you say it at Starbucks in New York City, I'm like. 60% but, that you will get two cream, two sugar in your coffee. Yeah, sure. If they know about the double-double as a coffee thing, because it's become like such a ubiquitous meme thanks to... There's a lot of Canadians living can- in New York. Canadians too. deciding that like Tim Horton's marketing <laughs> campaigns from the 90s are actually the definition of our national identity mm-hmm. instead of like mm-hmm. anything else oh, about us. Oh, like, <laughs> was that part of an uh, uh, advertising campaign? Yeah, like the Coca-Cola... Like polar bear or like okay. coca-cola santa claus or it, it's it's yeah uh, they did okay. a great job of tying in like dishwater coffee and <laughs> and like not bad donuts into being some kind of national identity and us being fools we flopped it all up and then we talk about it on podcasts for some reason yeah, yeah. where's our tim horton right, sponsorship so, <laughs> so gentlemen i have i've had there's two two one dollar cards in standard that might be worth more money one day fave wishes is that a dollar Doom foretold is at a dollar. Do either of these cards strike you as something, Dan, that is going to post up tier one in standard? Sure, but like maybe, but I don't think that it becomes such like a, a ubiquitous deck that I've said ubiquitous a lot and probably mean a different thing each time I say it. <laughs> uh, I, these cards are good. I'm sure they'll see play. I don't think that they're cards that will ever be worth any money. Fave wishes is pr- probably joined at the hip to fires of invention. Yeah, that would make sense. Letting that, you cast that, a sideboard card. And doom foretold could be one of these rares that's sure a four of, but only in the stacks deck. And we'll see. Has yet to be proven whether that's a re- repeat offender in the top eight. Agreed. Okay. 
So let's move on to modern. Um, we were talking before cast that it, it felt like the throne of Eldraine cards offered up some really busted cards for modern and then trailed off pretty heavily. Um, first, uh, first defender on the list, uh, as everyone is all too aware, Emery Lurker of the Lock. Is, does this make Urza decks potentially too good? Probably. I, I hope not, because I don't want to deal with that. I don't want to buy Urza's. I don't want to buy Emery's. <laughs> I don't own any of these cards ever since KCI got banned, so I'm hoping they don't. But uh, chances are, yes. I think the paradoxical outcome Emery Urza deck looks extremely powerful. It has that kind of hallmark of like when KCI became way too good. Right. It had all of these... Um, all these ways to kind of just beat everything built into it like having the getting to play a deck that plays four engineered explosives in it as part of its combo that that rocks yeah <laughs> and so that's that's like a warning your, sign your engineered that explosives is a mock sapphire yeah exactly that's <laughs> not fair so so basically if we're, if we're looking at past patterns of behavior from wizards probably fair to assume that the card that gets banned there is paradoxical outcome <laughs> So oh, yeah, they're not going to want to ban Urza out of a Hallmark card out of Modern Horizons, and they sure as hell are not going to want to b- ban Opal. Um, exactly. I don't think they're going to ban Emery since it just came out, so outcome? Oh, also, the Emery uh, engineered explosives lock <laughs> seems unreal. So. <laughs> Jeez, yeah. yeah. It has lock in its name, I guess. So I guess they knew about it. And of course, from an MTG Finance perspective, the really exciting thing here is that this might actually let us make money on Mox Amber for the third time in 2019. Hell yeah. I mean, the first two, nobody actually played the card, but they sold very well. So if if that happens again, I'm not going to complain. Yeah, there might finally be enough uh, legendary cards in this Urza deck that you can actually play like two copies of Mox Amber in it. So do remember, for whatever your purposes are, that... Even if Mox Amber sees play in this deck, it is as like a two of. So keep that in mind. You think it's well, only it's as a two up of? Twenty dollars this week, so uh, probably you do have to have one of these cards in play for it to have any text, right? So L- LSV said he went up to four. Very public. All right. Well, what do I know? <laughs> well, I guess well, maybe what, I guess we should just get LSV on. You got to buy your cards first. Yeah. Oh, yeah, just ask LSV to appear in the podcast instead. Easy. <laughs> yeah, fine. I'll I'll go buy and buy buy. I mean, borrow these cards. All right. So Emery, now let's say that Urza got too good and they tried to nerf it. Would you still be interested in Emery for like future shenanigans? Or do you think it's it's tightly tied to Urza being in a card that exists in modern? It, it certainly is only broken in the context of Ursa, but it is still a card that every time they tr- like get rid of some dumb artifact deck, some dumb artifact deck pops up like a, like six months later or whatever. Be- like, because yeah. they print another dumb artifact card. Yeah, and they keep doing it, as you can tell with Emery. Like, <laughs> or Arkham's Astrolabe. <laughs> this card's like a one drop. Like, I don't know. Yes, it'll it'll always be around, I think. And it's an incredible card in Commander. So by, by all means, let the bottom drop out on this card so I can buy them for the long term. The, the only question with this one is whether I'm supposed to be buying Russian Foil Emery of the Lock as probably the <laughs> actual rarest version or going for the borderless versions. 
that only exist in collector packs and are only printed in English and Japanese. The borderless version does look cool as hell. I'll say that much. Speaking of which, I don't think I've seen a single card come out of Japan. I think they're hoarding literally every copy so far. That that probably makes sense. Yeah. We were trying to set up a group buy on Japanese collector boxes, and people were just laughing at me politely behind Japanese hands. (laughs) Very, very politely and that distinctly. (laughs) Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. (laughs) That's kind of cool. So... Uh, once upon a time, as as good as Emery, better than Emery, likely to be around longer because it's not going to break anything, or is it going to break something? It's kind of hard to say. Uh, this is one of those cards where it's not immediately obvious how good it is, but it's all what is immediately obvious is that everyone puts four copies of it into every deck ever, <laughs> and loudly proclaims on Twitter that it's the best thing in history and that it turns Merfolk into a turn one tier one deck and Ugh. and probably also into a turn one deck um, <laughs> a lot of claims this is the kind of card out. that people just people are like oh free spells are broken and then put four copies of it into every deck and then lose um, so you think it's the kind of thing where people are going to sort out over time slowly absolutely as, mas- as ma- real masters of the game refine the list <laughs> that there are a couple of decks that can really make optimal use of it and some others will replace it with something else exactly so we have to figure out how many of those decks there are if it's actually like the card that's good in that deck and if it's a four of or if the way the math works out it's like a three of or a two of because of the number of slots you have available and diminishing returns and multiple copies blah 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 um but i do think that it's good i don't think there are definitely going to be some of those decks like it's probably very good in amulet titan it's probably very good in depths decks and legacy I can find pretty much every card that's relevant in those decks, and they're always happy to have a little bit more redundancy. Did, so I do think this card is going to be seeing significant play in Legacy and Modern. People were putting this in Merfolk? And no, it's just a running bit I have where people jam every new card into Merfolk. Okay. It's not really a bit, actually. It's just a thing everyone does. Like No matter, no matter what I do... I don't know why I said that. No matter what happens... <laughs> I can always go to a modern tournament and inevitably be paired up against a Merfolk player who has some inexplicable standard legal card in his deck, and then I die. But, it, like, <laughs> like Benthic Biomancer is like a 4 of in that deck. That card is not playable in standard by any means, and I'm pretty sure it's also not playable in modern, but that hasn't stopped anyone, right? Like, Yeah. Uh, I, I, I'm on I'm the same boat as you, I guess, and... You know, I'm sure people really care my opinion versus yours, but I was like, this card is going to be legitimate for the decks that can make use of it, but it's not like it goes everywhere. It's just the places where it's good, it's going to be useful, and it's not going to get yeah, and it's not going to get more. and it's not going to get less useful. Like it's not like you know Theros or the monster set after Theros is going to come out and people are going to forget that this card exists. It's like no, you the decks that want this effect definitely want it and are going to keep it around yeah 100 percent. i got some more much more succinct way of saying <laughs> the messy stuff that i said <laughs> sorry all right so mystic no, sanctuary skip. is probably one of the hottest selling common foils maybe in the modern era 
Um, there's currently like five copies left um, on TCG Player at around 11 bucks a piece. Yeah, James and I were talking about this before Dan hopped on. Uh, and if any of you can think of a common that was pre-ordering for more than $12 foil. Foils. foils. Then, yeah, foil, foil commons for more than $12. Let us know. Our best bet was the Lightning Bolt in Magic 2010, which might have been 15 or 20 uh, I don't recall. Um, but I don't know what else would possibly be in that ballpark. So, Daniel, is this a real card? I In modern, specifically? I don't know. <laughs> I'll be honest. I saw this card and thought, oh, that's neat for Popper. And then scrolling down Twitter while in between sets at the gym. Yeah, just bragging. I was at the gym. Yeah, no big deal. I was lifting weights. <laughs> Only the second time um, you mentioned in between, in between some of those sets. Yeah, well, it's, it's just not a big deal. You know, I, I squatted 310. It's my new best, but it's, it doesn't matter. Uh, anyways. Um, PR is at the PT. Did I tell you that I qualified for a pro tour recently? <laughs> yeah. Anyways. Um, <laughs> uh, I was scrolling down Twitter and saw some screenshots of uh, some Mystic Sanctuaries uh, being targeted by some cryptic commands that were countering yeah. Primeval Titans. <laughs> and I thought, ooh. <laughs> I would like to be a part of this. <laughs> this I'll take little, the primeval titan, this, uh, please. Piques my interest. Tickles my pickle a little bit, you know. Whoa! Uh, whoa. Oh, sorry, that was that was too thirsty for the podcast. My that's, bad. Yeah, that's the otaku podcast yeah. on Fridays. The um, <laughs> Oko. We already, so, we already got a little little too randy around Oko Thief of Crowns earlier. Sorry, I really uh, eclipsed my <laughs> thirst. So, there's, so, there's, uh, so there's, a few, there's a few things with this card. I think a lot of people miss. First, it's an island, so you can fetch this thing. Wait, what? <laughs> so, <laughs> and then and you, you hear Dan rapidly typing in the what? background. <laughs> Our listeners are going to have to get it out, but and then yes, it's card disadvantaged in the sense that you're not drawing an extra card, but you are getting card I... selection at minimum, and with things like as you mentioned, cryptic command. You get to put someone in a soft lock where you're bouncing this every turn. Yeah, sir. I didn't know that you could fetch this. This card's busted. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you can just play one. It, it's crazy. It's as they like said, busto. <laughs> wow that 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 is busto. That's a double double. I thought busto, you had right? to like play. I thought you had to like play four of them or something, and then there were some interesting returns. It was gonna get awkward, and I only have to pay one. Play one. Oh, that's sick. Yeah, doesn't this? Wait, hold oh, on. Let this me... makes prismatic Visto worse. Just saying. Yeah, because I can't can't search. Actually, I, I'm going to point this out to you here, Dan. It's an island, but the three or more islands counts itself. So it's actually only two other islands to come into play on tap as well. Three or more other. It says three or more other islands. Oh, all right. I am going to. You have been bent over the wheel of facts and logic, <laughs> defeated in the arena of ideas. <laughs> I won the debate. <laughs> However, steam vents and water games are likely to be in abundance in the decks where you may want to play this. Would be my guess. Or hallowed fountains. Yes, please, please. <laughs> Please don't insinuate that I would play any lands other than my beloved Hallowed Fountain. Mm-hmm. I finally have an excuse to fully cut uh, Celestial Colonnade from my deck. Oh yeah, let's go. Yeah, that's one of the things I was hearing was that Colonnade was might potentially give, be giving up slots to Sanctuary. God, I can't wait to O2 my next modern event because there's cryptic commands in my deck again for some reason. <laughs> I mean, repeating Supreme Verdicts against fair decks isn't can't be that bad either. Yeah, that's pretty neat. And, and Creatures, the fact that the- creatures are kind of banned, though. <laughs> fair. 
All right, so Mystic Sanctuary, uh, I don't want in on copies at $11 in foil. I will buy copies once we hit peak supply. Um, I did buy 25 cent copies of non-foil. I think I bought 40 or something um, on the premise that they could easily end up buy listing for a dollar or two in the next couple of years. That all sounds smart. Um, Fires of Invention for Modern. Felt like you had a rant coming. Okay. Well, it's not really a rant. It's more, I have a solid take on this where the moment I saw this on, on this list <laughs> under modern, I thought, oh no, I don't like that. And I already had a reason why. So okay. let's go. Uh, so fires of invention, its power level is predicated on its ability to be efficient on mana, but not necessarily do anything broken because it has this hard limit built in where you can only do two, two things a turn. So what it does is it basically lets you do a lot of fair things very effectively. So you see that in standard in Martin Hughes' deck. He's like casting uh, two Cavaliers a turn or like playing a Cavalier and then getting card advantage elsewhere or doing like a bunch of fair things to take advantage of the fact that it doubles your mana exactly once but doesn't let you like play uh, high mana cost cards with it. So with that in mind, it's this Busto card that is incredibly fair, if that makes sense. You can't combo off with it. You can't cast a bunch of spells. You can't really break it because there's nothing really to be broken. It, it's the first time they've printed one of these cards where I feel like it's actually been designed well <laughs> in that the restrictions on it, I think, are quite strong. Hmm. So that's, this, so that's, the, that's my so take. There's, there's a couple of scenarios that have me curious about how it can be more busted. Um, one is with free spells like uh, Ancestral Vision, Living End, Restore Balance, etc. Sure, can... we, we already have a lot of effective ways of casting those <laughs> yeah. cards, though, and, and that deck is still unplayable, so... Sure, and they've given us five or six different versions. Um, yeah, they keep printing more of these. They cost one more mana each time. <laughs> I guess the last one costs one less mana, but still. <laughs> sure. The, the two and three mana enablers aren't good, so why would the four mana one be? Gotcha. So the other half of it is you said two things a turn, but what if the things that you're doing have onboard abilities that allow you to use your the land, the mana from your lands at the same time that you're casting two spells? Well, that's what the Castle of Antris stuff is doing in the standard deck, I guess. Sure. But yeah, uh, there aren't really that many like lands in modern that have extremely powerful activated abilities that aren't aside from like what Amulet Titan does, right? But Th those are good because of Primeval Titan, not because of the lands themselves. But what if I'm playing a blue-red deck that is mysteriously running four walking ballista or something? And I'm ramping up the ballista while I'm casting more ballistae. I, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. Like the right response. Yeah, I don't know. That's like not very exciting to me. <laughs> yeah, so Fire Fires of Vengeance strikes me as the a card that could easily just flop in modern sit around for a while, do nothing, and then suddenly be busted because they print something silly that they never tested with it. Yeah, that's entirely possible. It could be a Splinter Twin. Sorry, mm -hmm. I shouldn't bring shame to the memory of Splinter Twin by saying that. <laughs> <laughs> it's a different but that is card. what happened with Splinter Twin, right? Like, it was this garbage uh, draft rare, the like, bargain bin rare, until uh, Deceiver Exarch. And then everything went wild. Yeah. And then... We'll talk about it in Commander as well, I suppose. But um, past this point, things fall off in a hurry. Um, I love Wishclaw Talisman, for instance, for Commander. But I'm having trouble picturing where this slots in for Modern. 
I'll be perfectly honest. I think with the exception of like Charming Prince being a probably playable card in humans due to its versatility, there are no other cards in this form in this set that actually are interesting for me in the context of modern. I thought with the exception of of, of the rare lands, which are fine. I thought Wishclaw Talisman was curious simply because two mana tutor is banned in all formats other than vintage demonic tutor four mana tutor is virtually unplayable in any real magic format which is like diabolic tutor but wishclaw talisman is essentially a three mana tutor uh with the caveat that you basically have to win the turn you cast it so you don't think that there's room for that in modern as like a just you know what, my combo makes a lot of mana, uh, and this just allows me to play it, activate it, find my win condition, and just end the game right now. None of those decks are black. Well. I guess a bit of a problem. Ad nauseum, I guess. Not that it... Nah. <laughs> I hate thinking about ad nauseum. <laughs> <laughs> my apologies. There are, a lot of, there are a lot of Toronto area ad nauseum players who are all my beloved friends who... <laughs> Love just putting cards in Adnosium. <laughs> Every card. <laughs> so, how and about... they're always bad, and they always make the deck worse, and they always just die to spoils of the vault anyways. They're so, just not good along magic. Jank lines, we just Goblin Engineer the Wishclaw, and then bring it back with Emery. Let's go. I'm down. I don't know what that de- uh, what else that deck does, but and it's <laughs> Grixis it artifacts, lo- apparently. Uh, I, I figured it out. Uh, it loses. <laughs> oh, okay. So, Wishclaw, <laughs> you think it's bullshit. Brazen Borrower. It's not a modern power level card. You should just be playing Mendeline Click, or if you want that kind of... If you want, like, a bounce effect, you can play Teferi 3. Sure. Uh, yeah. Charming Charming Prince and Humans. Is Humans just bad now? So, who cares about Charming Prince? I, I do think Humans is just bad now. I'm not, I'm not sure about Charming Prince's role in Humans. I'm not a human scholar by any means, so... Can't say for sure, but even then, that's like kind of a niche application. What made humans yeah, bad? Like it... uh, the metagame shifting away from decks that it can easily hate out. Yeah, I think like sure you can name meddling mage namers or whatever, but if, the, if that deck's gonna have four uh, four copies of engineered explosives in it, it's kind mm. of dark times. It, it faded out initially, I think, because of Hogak, and, and then the post Hogak metagame was somehow also not friendly to humans. Yeah. So, Robber of the Rich, yet another BS red dark confidant. I love this card because I think it's great praxis. It's a red creature, robs the rich. I think that's great. Uh, I'm not confident that's actually good. <laughs> yep. I love yeah. it, though. <laughs> I, I uh, Great hand, great Henge, a, a, a down-the-road combo deck in modern. I just, I don't think this is a modern card. Because you're just blowing uh, through stuff here. You don't. All right. Yeah, let's go. I, what do you want? I think I agree with most of this. Castle Castle Garenbrig strikes me as like it's going to post up in some big mana deck, though. Yeah, for sure. There'll, there'll like, be like one copy in Amulet or Titan or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so let's what's, switch on over to Commander. Wait, what's wait wait wait? What's the uh, the Greenland that makes six mana? Castle Garenbrig, which I think we'll see play in like a Titan deck. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Jack's fully busted for not listening to us. No, I do listen, uh, but you guys blew through no. a lot of those cards really quickly. 
Okay. I know you had to. You had to open um, I'm just. I'm just kidding. I'm just giving you a hard time. <laughs> Canadians have already memorized all the cards. It's okay. Don't feel bad. Yeah, it's because of our superior IQs brought mm-hmm. to us by double doubles. It's uh, I apparently drinking dishwater really invigorates your. It's like superfood. It's like salmon. Yeah, if you drink a lot of like nasty dishwater filled with uh, chemicals and uh, bacteria and stuff, it. It builds a really powerful immune system and makes you a genius. It's all about how much maple syrup you put in a day. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Um, all right. So, commander cards. <laughs> Arcane Signet is currently $25. Oh, my God. Is it really? And people are going to pay that, and then they're going to put out more Brawl decks for Theros, and they're going to reprint Arcane Signet, and people are going to get blown out. Um, there's also going to be a reprint of the current Brawl decks, so I would stay well away from Arcane Sickness at that price. But I'll be very interested when they print the inevitable Judge Foil of this, and they're too cheap in Europe. This card's a common. Why is it $25? Because you can't get that, that, that was That was a joke. That was a joke. <laughs> <laughs> we, have, we have people ask us all the time. I, ha- I had to uh-huh. release a... I, I don't know if you saw it, but I released the What's in Throne of Eldraine collector booster graphic today. And based on feedback from Twitter, I had to revise it no less than six times and reissue the tweet <laughs> because it still wasn't correct. That rocks. I believe awesome. that. So Fabled Passage, we already talked about. Um, I can see it seeing a ton of play in Commander over time as a uh, better version of two lands that are in the 20,000 plus club on EDH Rec. Um, so foils currently at 24 i think i'm well into waiting on peak supply fall set rare foils you just want to wait six to eight weeks and see where they land and of course around christmas when everybody's stuck spending their money on presents for other people stuff tends to get cheap so Uh, uh, my feel on fabled passage is that this is a type of land that people that don't have the resources for a more robust mana base will play so it'll be like, yeah, it'll be popular, but it'll only be popular with budget players, essentially. Like, I don't know if I would put this in any EDH deck I own. I'm not sure I agree with that. It, like, you need to love st- basics more. Still a fetch. The best land type in Magic. If I'm playing, if I'm playing three color, why am I not running this? This just goes and gets any color I need. Yeah, but it only gets one color, and this is EDH. None of your lands should make yeah, I get, one I color i got i got 40 plus lands in my deck <laughs> i can't there's only 10 fetches so even if i'm, I'm playing sure, five color i'm sure if you have like uh, over three basics then you probably want to play fabled passage but and just, i'm and far just, and from an put, expert on this <laughs> to, to put it more succinctly this is far and away the most reported card from this set so far on edh rec and yeah yeah close. yeah and and it came from behind most people started registering night cards up front and went crazy building their initial thoughts on night decks. But now we're starting to transition into the real staples of the format. And we've got 1,452 decks running Arcane Signet, which <laughs> is because it literally goes into every single commander deck of all time. Um, and Fabled Passage is second at 173 decks with Sir Conrad the Grim and Tournament Grounds uh, filling out the top four. Um, so I, I have a feeling these foils are going to be pretty tasty two or three years down the road. My point isn't that Fabled Passage won't get played. It's that I'm not sure the people who care about foil in their decks are going to want that many Fabled Passages. But EDH players also buy a lot of dumb cards that they shouldn't. So 
Well, I guess I, 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 I don't <laughs> that think that I the I don't think that casual and not foiling go together. I think the opposite. I think that the more casual you are, the more likely you are spending your money inefficiently. That's that's a hurtful thing to say, given how many EDH foils I own. Yeah. <laughs> right. All right, so the Great Hinge. Wait, you have an entire goddamn deck of double K, triple sleeved <laughs> Russian foil Hard cards. Hard that was like cased. a $7,000 EDH deck or something. 15000 thank you. Are they in but, anime babe but, sleeves at least? <laughs> no. You should but put the most that, awful that deck basic is, sleeves on that deck. The reason that deck is in hard cases is because it's full of specs that keep making money. The things like masterpiece soul rings that you and I bought in Europe at seventy five that went to three hundred, right? So you got to protect the inventory, brother. Um, <laughs> the the great henge currently eleven dollars foils at forty. Uh, I don't want any part of a foil mythic at forty. And if it doesn't see any play in standard, I'm very excited because then the, the bottom is going to drop out on these foils and they're going to get down to like Paradox engine foil level of like 10 to $15 and then they're going to go back up to 40 in two years when everybody's running this in every green commander deck ever. This card is that seems uh, fair. definitely good in that format. Can you just draw a card every time a creature comes into play? And they get counters. Yeah, so ridiculous. The counters is like... Like, barely relevant for some decks, but so huge for so many other decks. And and you get two of the mana you spend on it back immediately, because it's a double mana rock, which also gives you life. It's ridiculous. Yeah, that card is... And, and, and it's an artifact, not an enchantment, so things like Voltaic Key can untap it, and all of the other broken artifact interactions in that format i mean like just the the whenever a non-token comes into play get a one one counter and draw a card that's like a four mana enchantment alone yep that is as they say a double double and the borderless versions of it and the borderless foils are only available in the collector boosters which again have about a three-month shelf life so those masterpiece versions are basically like masterpiece paradox engines and they'll probably be 100 to 150 in short order so moving right along rankle master of pranks uh daniel didn't sound too excited about it in standard but this is likely to set up shop and do a ton of work over in edh since it affects all players this card seems extremely sweet for edh and given that my format knowledge is mostly mostly based around my years of working at card shops and hearing people around me talk about edh and buy cards for edh this seems like a card that everyone would want to play in EDH. Yeah, I mean, the, the selection factor, where you're choosing any number of, from 0 to 3, each player discards a card, loses a life, draws a card, each player sacrifices a creature, all sorts of political ins and outs to that that make for fun games. Unless <coughs> you feel card. very smart, which is what yeah. Magic players want above anything else. Exactly. <laughs> so, And this is another one where, because it is not a borderless planeswalker and not an adventure card, it is not a showcase, which means that the borderless versions, again, only exist in the collector packs. So currently, cards at 850 and 20 for foils, that's definitely too high. Mostly, I think I want to get those collector pack versions if, when they get cheaper, probably in two weeks or three weeks. Um, Mystic Sanctuary also on this list for EDH. Even more crazy ways to bust this card in that format where you have unlimited access to instants and sorceries. So uh, definitely don't want any part of $11 foils, but we'll see how 
if when those foils get cheaper. Um, given that it's a common, I would expect that we are going to see four to five dollar foils for this card, no matter how popular it is, since they are just going to get keep getting opened in draft after draft after draft and traded into stores until the price falls out. I'll rare draft some for you if you need me to. Nice. Yeah, you're welcome. Uh, <laughs> Wishclaw Talisman, I think, is much more busted in Commander. <laughs> Even if you guys don't think it's going to do anything anywhere else. I play Brea, uh, for instance, and in Brea, being able to put the Demonic Tutor on the stack, sack it, get Thopters, and then repeat that with Goblin Engineers and uh, Emery's and uh, Welders. Yeah, Goblin Welder. And all the other, like, artifact recursion stuff that's in Grix's colors for EDH is going to be crazy. I have three and... quick comments. Uh, I don't know what Brea is. I won't remember <laughs> even if you tell me. And Wishclaw Talisman seems busted in EDH. <laughs> that's all, all true. All true. <laughs> Guy, even even if you don't have like a cute way to play with Wish, like even if you're not playing a cute political game, you can just activate Wishclaw Talisman, put the ability on the stack, and then sacrifice it. Right. Yep. And just like no, nah, nobody gets it. I'm gonna get one, and that'll be it. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so there's there's a bunch of ways to be abusing it in Commander, and I'm sure people will write volumes about the topic. Um, a triple Demonic Tutor is nothing to laugh at, and a repeatable Demonic Tutor at relatively low cost is also <laughs> well worth investigating. So <clears throat> I have been picking up some of the underpriced uh, borderless versions overseas. Uh, Sir Conrad the Grim is looking like a popular Commander card uh early on here and i suspect it'll probably stay in the top 15 i don't know if it's going to stay in the top 10 this is the 5 4 for 5 legendary creature human knight whenever another creature dies or a creature card is put into a graveyard from anywhere other than the battlefield or a creature card leaves your graveyard sir conrad the grim deals one damage to each opponent and then for one and a black each player puts the top card of their library into their graveyard so creatures moving around from zone to zone at all is dealing damage to your opponents that feels like it's going to get see plenty of play in black decks i thought i knew what this card did from having read the spoiler and like read it and stuff and then i played against it a pre-release and i still had to read it five different times <laughs> yeah it's it's a push version of this effect that has seen printing many times in the context of commander where you have all sorts of ways that you can build your whole deck around like draining the opponent and making use of that life um or pinging them uh, this, this is case. actually like tremendously powerful like the ability yeah. is nuts in fact like i think that if this card was three mono we'd be talking about it for modern of course it's not it's five which is what we're talking about for edh but uh even still this is a lot of damage really quickly yeah, I don't want the the card is forty cents and three seventy five in foil. It's going to get even lower because nobody's talking about it for modern or standard. So this is going to get real, real low, and it's also an uncommon, uh, in, in a fall set. So I'm in no rush, but when I see it bottom out, I'll probably pick up, I don't know, twelve or twenty foils or something, and assume that it's a two year hold for a double up. Yeah, I mean, it'll probably I would guess it end up being less than two years. Although Thronable Drain's popular, maybe not as a foil uncommon. Hmm. Yeah, so, card so is this really next good one, This next one's been mentioned here and there, but I think people are probably sleeping on it. People have been bitching for years about how they didn't reprint Bloom Tender, and then they just went ahead and gave you arguably a better one. Um, Bloom Tender, of course, only requires you to be in green, 
So from that perspective, Bloom Fender is better. It's also a mana cheaper. But Don't both Fae- of these cards want you to be in a million colors anyways? Exactly. Yes. So Faebarrow Elder is one green white for a zero zero. Vigilance gets plus one plus one for each other for each color among permanents you control. And then for each color among permanents you control, add one mana of that color. So I, arguably in three, four, and five color decks, this is just an automatic include if green and white are at least two of those colors. Wait, Bloom Tender is 50 bucks? Yeah, yeah. man. <laughs> it was printed once. <laughs> Much money has All right. Been. All right. Got, well. any, got any of those to fish out of your uh, binders? Oh, let, let me tell you, I'm going to look through some boxes later tonight. <laughs> and, and anything from the Lorwyn era, my friend, that hasn't yeah. seen a reprint right. and sees a lot of commander play. Um, yeah, so not a huge mystery. It, it makes a ton of mana. It can be a decently sized creature. It can attack and block in the same turn cycle. All good things in commander. Uh, currently going for... Two dollars non foil, nine dollar foils. They're gonna, it's gonna come down. It's not showing up in standard. It's not gonna be a thing in modern. We're gonna get these dirt cheap, and the foils are gonna be amazing later. And borderless foils, even better, because if Bloom Tender can be fifty, picture what the masterpiece version of Bloom Tender can be. Yeah, I mean that's that's a another metric, I think. Like right there, it's a little hard to compare original Bloom Tender with masterpieces of this but the the era had a lower print run for sure yeah but this is still these masterpieces are still going to be 100 plus easy breezy yeah that card is is real good for edh no question there people are going to love that card but the problem it's the green white that's the, the sticking point right like we've seen how big of a deal the colors is um you know that's why artifacts are in sixty thousand decks and why you know, the best blue card is like 35 or whatever. Uh, so green white only has a pool of what, like 25 or 30,000 decks on EDA track. So it is a little more limited. Fair. Um, all right. So Ayara first of Lockthwain. I, I went ahead and snagged a foil uh, extended art for 30 over in Europe today. Um, this is the other one that is sort of like Sir Conrad the Grim, really. Um She's triple black, and every time a creature dies, drain? Is that the deal? I think it's whenever it comes into play. Whenever another black creature. I, I think this card's like a future standard card for what it's worth. Really? Maybe when. Like, I think they're pretty Theros. obviously setting up the old, uh, oh, the the old Theros devotion trick. Mm-hmm. Although that is pure speculation, and they could sure they could subvert my expectations or whatever, but I don't think they're they're going to. So, so I, I have a theory about the twist on devotion. I think that the devotion isn't going to be about pips and play. It's going to be pips when you cast, and that's how adventures is going to be made a little bit more interesting. And some of these like uh, hmm. hybrid color cards, and it's possible that some of the Theros gods will care about uh, either or color. Um, on cast. Either way, if if pips matter, this is like the core of a black deck. So there's yeah. there's so many like black cards that exist in standard that let you get like spare black creatures, specifically the amass mechanic. 
So for people unfamiliar, Ayara, first of Lothwain, is triple black, 2-3. When she or another black creature enters the battlefield under your control, you drain one from each opponent. The each opponent being the key phrase there for commander. Yeah. Um, so black creatures that you can recurse or that you can pull in and out of play um, or play out of your graveyard on a regular basis are just draining the field constantly. And then you can sack a black creature to draw a card. So you've got a spawn to Top sack another black creature to draw a card. Yeah. Very important. <laughs> yeah. So there's a sack, sack engine built into the card. Yeah. Um, Discard rocks. It's not like super inherently like powerful. It doesn't have a great stat line. It's just a 2-3. But everything put together, I think it's, it's inevitable that at some point this card is the standard staple. So... Whatever that means for your EDH speculation, I, I, and I will, I, I will tell you too, Dan, that I don't think that thinking devotion and Theros is, uh, I don't think that's a, a radical idea, simply because of the pips on the cards <laughs> that we're seeing. Like it's not like you're seeing yeah. like two mana pips for the most part, and then we're like, oh, is this it? We're like, no, we have the triple pip Cavaliers, we have a cycle of four hybrid cards and uncommon in throne. Like they're definitely laying the groundwork yeah, for, for it. For them to make all these ridiculous mana costs and then announce a Theros set, like yeah, yeah, it would. Be, I'm not a genius for figuring it, this one. I'll just put it that way. I'm a genius for other reasons. <laughs> well, yeah, of course. <laughs> so foils at 850 on Ayara, I think high. If it doesn't, like, the plan here is that no one plays it in standard this fall. Bottom drops out on the card. Foils get real, real cheap, say two, three bucks, um, maybe four bucks, and jump in on a pile of them then. Um, how about Mirror Maid? Yet another clone. Currently $1.50, $6.50 in foil. Nothing too exciting there. There have been arguably better clones printed in the last couple of years, but they see no shortage of play because there's always good things to clone when you play in multiplayer. Cop, uh, three mana is pretty good. I mean, copy enchantment's $12, uh, and it doesn't copy artifacts. So, I mean, although Copy Enchantment, it doesn't have much. It was only printed in Ravnica, the original Ravnica, so there's not many copies out there. I see Mirror Maid being reasonably popular. Uh, but the problem it's is, it's, is at, at Rare, it's just going to be hard to really get too wild. What, did, what was the one that we got in War of the Spark? The... Let me see here. Set for the spark. We got spark double that copies creatures and planeswalkers. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. This is a different thing. There are like seven or eight interchange, roughly interchangeable effects at this point. So I'm not super excited about this card. But I'll keep an eye on the foils if they get really, really low. Um, Castle Garenbrig we mentioned earlier. I think this one is going to do well in Commander um, in the long term. It's basically just another Temple of the False God in a lot of circumstances. And foils currently at 850. Really want those to get nice and cheap. The other thing that we haven't mentioned at all during this discussion is that should be mentioned is that the foil drop rate as of Core 2020 is like roughly twice what it used to be. So a lot of the old math for foils has to kind of be thrown out the window. And I was kind of cautious with core 2020 foils on that basis. And it should in arguably speak, arguably the fall set is could exert much more downward pressure um, on its related foils, especially when they're competing with the extended arts, the showcases, 
potentially foreign foils and you know a whole bunch of confusion about this set that in the words of some vendors that we've been talking to has led to the set not uh selling as well as it should be so it's it's hard to know where that's going to land but my instincts say foils have to be you know rematriculated that that's a good prior expectations that's a good point we didn't talk about it too much that the foil math is really going to be different this time around um i mean it's a lot more foils than we're used to so i i I wonder if this is gonna be the case where everyone just sort of forgets about that and just kind of pretends like that's not the case and then they're gonna it's just gonna end up being that there's gonna be way deeper supply like i think people will pay the crazy foil prices out of the gate but there's gonna be so many hitting the market that there's gonna be that race to the bottom I, I do have a theory brewing about how buy lists don't necessarily buy twice as many foil copies just because twice as many foil copies exist. And that in the period of print, they will respond pretty much the way that they normally would. And because of that, a lot of the foil copies will bypass the market and just land in private collections never to return. The attrition principle that we've talked about many times. So I'm, I'm curious to see whether that will play out to be true. It seemed like it was true with Core 2020, but it's hard to know whether that's just because Core 2020 as a summer set did not sell that hard. Right. Um, and and was squeezed in between Throne of Eldraine, the Commander decks, and Modern Horizons. And so a lot of you know wallet math may have been impacting it as well. Okay, so I guess the only other two cards that caught my eye is Kenrith, the Returned King, is of course the buy box promo, and you can only get non-foil versions in collector boosters um, in the ancillary slot, which is normally a heap of garbage, but occasionally is an Arcane Signet or a Kenrith. Um, It's a cool five-color card, one of several. um, I don't see it lighting Commander on fire, but they'll probably be worth money three or four years out when they're hard to come by. Somebody was Um, trying to tell me that they thought this card was awesome. And that it was the new five color commander. And I'm not sold on it. I think the red ability is good. I mean, giving your all your creatures haste in uh in EDH is definitely legitimate. And the five mana black ability of reanimating stuff is definitely powerful. Keep in mind that the creature that you reanimate goes to its owner's control. So it doesn't have to be out of your graveyard, but if you do it out of somebody else's graveyard, they get the creature back. Um, so a little bit of a political angle there, but the the bant abilities on this are all very mediocre, very overcosted for what you want. Uh, so I guess I I I'm not sold on this being a the new leader for five color commanders. If you were thinking that, I am not on pa- the page with you. Same page as you. The the brawl deck commanders are all far ahead of any of the cards from. Throne of Eldraine proper, so Chulain, Alela, uh, Corvold, and Sir Gwyn. Um, I would expect Chulain to stay pretty high, um, but Kenrith is going to, like I said, he's going to be a mediocre commander that falls to the back of the pack over time. The uh, the other the card the other rare land though, Castle Lothwain or Lothwain, um, seems good. Can't wait for someone to correct me and be like, actually, it's... Sure. <laughs> I'll, I'll take it. Yeah, it's Yoth. 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 Take it. The, uh, the, All right. Sorry, I'm not Welsh. In a format where you have tons of time and plenty of life to use as a resource, uh, Lockthwain seems fine, especially if you're intentionally trying to drop your life total for some reason. 
Um, I could see running it in decks like Aloro too, where you're gaining so much life that the counterplay of drawing a card for, say, four or five or six life just doesn't matter. I'm just laughing at, sorry, I'm not Welsh. How often does that get said? (laughs) (laughs) Once. Just once. Uh, I mean, this is, yeah, in EDH, this is fine in the super long grindy games. Like, if you're playing a mono black deck, you're definitely going to run a copy of this because the opportunity cost is, like, zero. Uh, and sometimes you don't care how much mana or life it costs you. You need to draw one card deeper to, like, look for an out. Yeah. Oh, I know one other card. One last card. Grumgully the Generous. One red, green, three, three, hardened scale on a stick. Every other non-human creature you control enters the battlefield with an additional plus one, plus one counter on it. This has the disadvantage of not uh, being playable uh, in attracts of counters because it's red. But there's plenty of other red, green, slash X <clears throat> decks that will find use for this because plus one plus one counters has got to be one of the most uh, ubiquitous themes in Commander. You know, uh, I don't think we talked about this in the modern section, but he's actually curious there. Because he goes infinite with uh, Murderous Redcap, because that's not a human, and Kitchen Finks for that matter, uh, in like the old Malira style combo. So he fills the role of Malira, basically. Um, but he has. Can't you just You play could, Malira? but Malira doesn't do anything for any of the other cards in your deck. Whereas Grum Gully is buffing your entire team. Uh, so, I mean, he's interesting there because he gives you some additional fat to beat people up with, which that deck does a lot and also functions as a combo piece. I don't know. It's just worth being aware of. I think that's what people were doing with that, um, uh, the double white Anathenza right. in that deck, but that quickly fell out yeah. of favor as well. This is also an, an, an I think uncommon, it, so let's suspect the foils will get plenty cheap. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I would say the modern application is... Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm, I'm with you. It's not. I'm not expecting to blow modern out of the water, but. So, would you agree, Daniel, that the looking at this set as a whole, compared to say something like War of the Spark, is this a shallower set with a higher top end from a competitive standpoint? Um, I think that's probably a pretty fair assessment. There's some kind of obscene cards in here, whereas. The stuff that was very powerful in War of the Spark was like kind of obvious. Like, oh, wow. Wait, really? Narset's broken? Cool. <laughs> um, there's, a lot of, there's, like, there's a lot more question marks kind of at the top of this. And that there's a lot more potential for things to be utterly busted and stuff like Emery and Once Upon a Time in Modern. Sure. So, yeah, I think I'd, I'd agree with that assessment okay. vaguely. There's like a lot of, a lot of modern cards, sorry, ugh, a lot of rare slots in this, in this set being used up on these like... Uh, like, uh, how do I explain this? There's a lot of slots being spent on these adventure cards that are individually inefficient on mana, but offer a significant amount of versatility in terms of both how you can play them, whether you can play them as creatures and put them on board. But all that kind of stuff matters way more in standard and limited than does in modern, which is like, I feel the real price driver behind whether or not these cards actually become super expensive. Right. So. Right. It's like a big chunk of the set was devoted to formats that, in a way, that prevents them from being a big deal in, in modern. Got it. Exactly. 
Um, okay, so thank you again to recently Pro Tour qualified Daniel Fournier, uh, hero of the Great White <laughs> North. I like when people brag. I like when people brag for me. Um, it's called a compliment, Dan. <laughs> cock, whoa, whoa, cock, said, in whoa. Burger. You can't. You can't. Ugh. Artisan. Uh, I'm not an anime connoisseur. A, I'm an ex anime connoisseur. He's a, <laughs> a weeaboo. Get the term right. <laughs> Whoa, whoa, whoa! I don't, I don't like this at all. Bye, I'm leaving. All right. So, I'm where can people on, find on this you? podcast that I've been where invited can people to find you online, gentlemen? Uh, you can find me on my horrible Twitter, on my doubly horrible alternate account Twitter, in which I say things that are too spicy for me. Wow. <laughs> and uh, also, uh, I, I write. Two columns now mm-hmm. weekly on uh, magic.facefacegames.com. I added uh, a second column called Goblin Guide or Fournier's Goblin Guide, which features a truly horrific Photoshop of my face onto the art yep, of Goblin Guide. I saw that. I didn't sleep for a week. <laughs> it's, Thank you for that. Yeah, you're welcome for the nightmares. Don't forget. <laughs> uh, in which I. Go ahead. Sorry, I would say ahead. don't forget to make sure you include your handle uh, on Gaia Online, too. You want to make sure people can find you there. Yeah, it's where I. <laughs> Never mind. I should say that. <laughs> I've gotten better at self-censoring lately. That's something I'd like to brag about. I say fewer of the things that come through my head, which is great for my marketability and not <laughs> getting in a lot of trouble all the time. I do yeah. that on my alt account. Uh, anyways, um, yeah, no. Uh, Goblin Guide's a cool new column. It kind of reviews what's been going on in competitive magic for the week and gives you my weekly tips on what to play in uh, decks. Uh, what to play in constructed tournaments any given weekend. Gives you some cool deck lists, talks about the format, keeps you up to date on what's going on in Magic. Nice. Well, I enjoy yeah. following you. All right, Travis, you. what about you? Uh, I, I am on Twitter at WizardBumpin, B-U-M-P-I-N. Uh, I don't have a thirsty alt. I'm sorry to disappoint. Uh, and <laughs> <laughs> well, my alt is not thirsty. I resent that. It is problematic, <laughs> not thirsty. <laughs> and I write uh, during the Watchtower series every Monday uh, at MTG Price. You guys can find me on Twitter at MTG Critic as well as via my weekly articles on MTGPrice.com. And of course, I'd like to remind our listeners to check out the MTGPrice.com Pro Trader service for just $7.99 a month or $79.99 per year. You can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business, and a super active Discord forum that will drive better returns and save you money playing Magic the Gathering. Um, we have a credit giveaway this week, $25 from our lovely sponsor, Cool Stuff Inc., Blurred Weasel in the MTG Price Pro Trader Discord. You have won yourself a gift certificate. Please go spend at least $1,400 with Cool Stuff Inc., so they will continue to give us these excellent gift certificates. Yeah, it's $1,400 is the magic number, actually. Yeah. Uh, once again, MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool stuff in stock, including the best in Magic Gathering single, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5, that's the number 5, during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. Dan, thanks so much for coming. You are always a blast to have on. And James, as always, it's been a pleasure. Uh, Brings us to the end of episode 188. And uh, I will see you all next week. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Travis. Thank you, Daniel. And we'll see you all next week on another episode of MTG Fast Finance. (laughs) 